Coco Talk would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our show. So warm gratitude goes to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Frodo NL, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Riker, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., and Tim Lindner. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world. Welcome to Coke Talk, episode 178. Today's theme is the Glenside Virtual Picnic, or Pick on Nick Day. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tanny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. <laughs> and we're on hello hi everybody yeah. how's it going pretty good good yeah hey, that's great so hey, john, Eric, you bring corn for everybody <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's virtual corn yeah. oh yeah you mine's bring right here snacks it's for not everyone? real for those of you All wondering right, what the heck up. we're talking about, <laughs> that's usually every week, but yeah. yeah. So, but we gotta... today would have been the uh, Glenside uh, picnic, which is normally done in person. It's been a tradition for how many years, John and Eric? I don't even know, decades, I think, at this point, where uh-huh. all the people at the Glenside Computer, Color Computer Club got together and had a picnic, you know, just to, for geeks to get fresh air once in a while. And uh, of course, because of COVID, you know, you're not recommended to be in, in groups of people in person. So now we're having a virtual one. And John's taking full advantage of it, eating a corn cob right at the moment. So, yeah, don't ask John any questions right now. He's eating. I was going to ask if there's butter and salt on there. I can't believe it's not butter and salt. All right. Must be good. He's not even talking. So, the silence speaks volumes. 
What and is Eric, he do you have anything cooking up on your side there since you're also representing yep. the club? Yeah, I got uh, some um, steak fries in the oven. I've got some barbecue uh, ribs coming. So that should be ready in maybe 20 minutes. So in a typical year, how many do you have to attend the, the picnic? And, and like when you're picnic? Well, last year we had maybe 10 to 20 people. That's cool. Um, people don't generally drive from all around. So we were all pretty much local to the Chicago area. Right. And you guys actually talk cocoa the whole time, or you guys actually kind of let that go to the side and just enjoy a picnic and barbecue? It was mostly cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> Although we did enjoy the picnic, and, uh, and we got to um, just hang out and just talk about stuff. Yeah. Well, this year is definitely the, the, the year for virtual cocoa events. We had virtual cocoa fest and virtual mm -hmm. VCFs, and <laughs> now a virtual picnic. Now we got a virtual picnic. Yeah. Well, and Brian Gores, are you actually participating in this as well, or? Yes, I've got my uh, cheddar brats and uh, my drink. Going to be here did for a little get, bit. Did you get any corn on the cob? No, I didn't get that. Ah, see. Does David have his diet, Dr. Pepper, and water? That's the question we're all wondering. <laughs> Good day, everyone. How's everybody doing? <laughs> hey, soon. David. Sorry, I'm late. I kind of I was planning on being getting ready and early and prepping because Stevie was hoping I'd do the hosting and Mark would do the streaming, but I fell asleep in the tub. Did you get all wrinkly? Yeah, I'm like a beached whale at the moment. Leave your video Wrinkled off, David. Yeah, you're you're soaking in it. Take me away. Hey, how many how many how many two liters of Dr. Pepper or Diet Dr. Pepper does it take to fill the tub up? That I would not know, but you did share <laughs> an interesting clip where someone did do that when with coupons and only what was it? Paid four cents a two liter or something like that? That was something I read on the internet that someone back in their I think younger days or college days got some kind of got a bunch of like 49 cent off coupons for Dr. Pepper and at the time it was like you know just a few cents more to buy it so they got a bunch of it for a couple cents of two liter and then bathed in it for some unknown reason but I thought of you and that's why I sent it to you David <laughs> Hi Simon Okay so go around the room and do some uh, formal introductions then yeah, David, are you yeah. are you going to host the show then now that you're here, or are we not have um, individuals? Yes, I can certainly do that. So since we're doing the panel introductions, well, I think everybody knows who I am. I'm David Ladd. I'm He's sorry. the loud, exuberant one. Yes, <laughs> can you? He's David me? Ladd, and you're not. <laughs> Hi, okay. David. So starting at the top left, oh, it's Jason, the Coco Man Riker. Oh, hello, David, and hello, everyone. I am ready to go. I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper, I've got some snacks, and I've got some acquisition and product uh, uh, project updates coming up later. Oh, uh, I am oh, on the edge of my seat to see that. I'm Next. More enthusiasm, you're Jason. not on the edge of the seat, you're taking up too much room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next person is John Mark Mobley. How are you? Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Um, yes, we can. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm running for the office of vice president for the Glenside Color Computer Club. 
Oh, oh that is a good thing. Welcome. You've Welcome. got three or four people to vote for, and I'm one of them. All right. Well, it's your ear, man. Of the four people to vote for. <laughs> All right, the next person on the panel is Mark Bosley. Hello. None of my mic is off mute. <laughs> yes, it he's was. He's also our engineer today. Yes, yes pushing, he's our streaming buttons. engineer. Next on the panel is our resident Canadian who you would think would be the nice Canadian, but he can certainly get far down and dirty like the rest of the Americans. And welcome, L. Curtis Boyle. I, I can actually get far worse, I think. I, Chet would be my competition, I believe. <laughs> oh, hey. Hello, He's everyone. Canadian, <laughs> yours, oh, hey. I, mean, I mean, we have this talent as a group to make Canadians swear. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gift, the really. next person on the panel is Patrick Euland. Howdy, folks. I may have to rely on Chef Mike for my picnic, but I've got some cocoa stuff. Excellent. Next on the list, I'm going straight down on the panel, would be Chet Simpson. I'm not sure I'm comfortable you going down on me. Uh, <laughs> oh, there goes that Thanks Sunday, for everyone for joining in. Good night. <laughs> well, I the credits, the Frank. PG rating. <laughs> oh, this was a family show. Granddaughter show. Okay, moving on. We're going to our resident other Canadian. The other one that we have to say is named Trice. It is. No, we don't. <laughs> I'm the nice one you were talking about, right? Well, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not Curtis. I don't know. I've heard you'd be kind of testy on Discord. Yeah, I get a little testy sometimes. <laughs> You're right. I'm not perfect. I try, but I'm not. I, I haven't reached it yet. He's not. It's not testy. He's being passionate about something. Passionate. Did you have to word, use the word testy? <laughs> One, two, three. Uh, okay, one, moving two, three. on from that you're one. Not. <laughs> the next person in our lineup is Eric Canales. Hey, that's me. El Presidente. Um, I'm the president of the Glenside Club. Uh, I'm running for president again uh, for this year. And um, I have a few acquisitions to show off today. And otherwise, I'm just here to eat food. Four more years. Four more years. <laughs> Four more quarters. Oh, oh. <laughs> All right. Oh. Next person on the list is Ron Delvo. Hey, guess what? I'm so old that I just walked in my garage and realized I have a Tandy collection. Hmm. I don't think that's <laughs> really anybody that old, that's seen sir. your Facebook knows you have a Tandy collection. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, Ron is sip Tandy all year one. round. That's what but he I is. didn't know. <laughs> He's that uh, old. He didn't know. All right. Thank Moving you for inviting Moving on me. over, we're seeing Mark Overholzer, our resident Apple II enthusiast. Yes, but I like Cocos also because I have about the same amount as apples. Thank you. <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> well, he also has Commodores as well, so he's equally, equally shared the love. I also have some Sinclairs, too. Ah. Now, we're moving does. on down to the next <laughs> row, and I believe, if I don't screw this up, it's Salvador Garcia. 
Oh, you're right. muted. Yeah, there you go. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm one of the locals to the Chicago area. I tried never to miss a, a, a Glenside Color Computer picnic, and I have to admit, I'm here for the food. Stuff <laughs> 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 you yes. can't get at home, right? Stuff <laughs> <laughs> you can't get yeah. at home. Uh, tell us why you're here on Coco Talk, because that'd be interesting. What? I'm on Coco Talk? <laughs> that's the oh, stock reaction that when we tell them that. Yeah, that's no, we're the other uh, show. We had a nickel for every every time we heard that one. Exactly. Wow. All right. <laughs> no respect. No respect at all. Yeah. Uh, yes. We're moving on over, and I believe the next person on our list is Brian Gores. If I pronounce that right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of like church goers and movie goers or party goers. Coco goer. You just sum summarize the Glenside picnic there in three phrases. Yeah. <laughs> um, have a oh, cocoa. Wow. Haven't used it for the longest time. Like to just arrange things and get it going again. Is that and, a cocoa keyboard in the background there? Hanging on the wall. Uh, no, that's a a big picture of all some coins that were issued. Oh of different states and it was just my, you, you get uh, a, a quarter with the state picture on it and you get pay $70 $7 for shipping go figure who won that one <laughs> so who got left out there's left out gap, there's a gap in the middle oh, I think it's Georgia out? fell out it's sitting here it keeps falling uh, out so I left it out seceded uh, yeah <laughs> Good All eyes. Right. Good eyes. You saw it right there, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. All right. But, moving uh, on over. I'm the treasurer, by the way. Well, that's <laughs> only one on the list. Again, Great sign. <laughs> yeah. Only one on the list. Running unopposed. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Moving on over on the next person on the list, we've got Simon Johansson. Jonathan, if you don't mind. Jonas, sorry. See, I knew I was going to screw something up at some point. I just derailed. See, there's the train wreck. There you go. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll be showing off Simon's uh, latest project on the Game on News section, so he can comment on it if he's still awake by that time. Yeah, oh. Curtis, if you do that, if you do that, then look at the very latest one and. Yeah, Eric, in the comments, there's a few updates in the comments, too. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, because uh, me and Paul Fiscarelli said, oh, okay, this is like frame-rated to 10 frames a second right now, so watch it at 30. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I will be showing that, too, so don't worry about that. I saw that. Cool. All right. The next person on the list, we don't know if we want him to unmute his mic or not, but it's Grant Lee. Hey, what's going on, everybody? <laughs> I'm sitting here enjoying some good old Kansas City barbecue. Oh, that sounds so, so And your new good. puppy. Yep, and I have a new puppy too, so. <laughs> Do you use barbecue sauce on that also? Not his food, that's, that's a pet, <laughs> just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> and your little dog too. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't hear, What what is the name of your new dog? Juniper. Juniper? Okay. Yeah, Juniper. Right? As in the bear. Very nice. So the next person on the list is one that likes rewriting ROMs or optimizing code in ROMs. 
our resident ROM guy? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. name? <laughs> it's Rom Delow. <laughs> microphone. Sorry about that. I pushed the mute button. It is James Diffendaffer. Uh, I I thought the the broadcast stopped for a second. <laughs> I thought he forgot your name. No, yeah, I'm he's trying to figure out how to pronounce James or something. Uh, oh. I don't know. Uh, okay, James, you're up. Um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know that about you, James. <laughs> All right. Next and final on the list is Nick Marantes, our resident Coco Game Pusher of the Year. Now? Do I speak now? <laughs> yep, you're up. Right. Uh, Good day, everyone. <laughs> um, it's almost breakfast time here, so I'm going to be having a, uh, a picnic breakfast. So it'll be a... Uh, um, Vegemite on toast. I, I thought you said you're having a... food. I don't know if Vegemite yeah. qualifies as food. I thought you were having all Vegemite. Of I thought it was Vegemite was like a byproduct. <laughs> I'm sure the ants stay away from that. <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> wow. It's like a mosquito repellent that you ingest for some reason. <laughs> COVID deterrent. Uh, oh. <sighs> okay, right. go ahead, David. <laughs> All right, so are we ready to kick on for... No, no you didn't give us your uh, your usual salute uh, introduction. I already did at the start. You get to top. <laughs> oh, yeah, how, sorry. How did, you, how did you stay sleeping during that, Nick? I don't know. How did oh, you yeah. miss that? <laughs> Jeez. Maybe All Nick right, wants so to I hear it again. Dave, Since we're getting the panel... You're getting Hitachi here. He's come and joined us. What? What? You're forgetting about Hitachi, who just came and joined us. Hitachi. Hitachi's the name of your cat? Yeah. I've got a Hitachi as well. 6309. And, and guess what the name of the other cat is? Cat Motorola. number two? Motorola. My other cat is Motorola. Oh, wow. Sounds logical to me. That's so geeky. It's awesome. And the other one's Rocky. He wins. Yeah, and Rocky, Rocky has uh, stopped by and so I take it Hitachi is the faster one of the two? <laughs> uh, your 6502 ran away, evidently, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lordy. All right, moving on. <laughs> so let's see here. I think it's time to start rolling in our footage to get us ready for the game on. Is that right? Well, we were going to have uh, Eric uh, talk about uh, Glenside and uh, uh, tell us about the club and maybe a little history and how to join. Who's, who's running like for what and that kind of thing? Yeah. All right. Well, then, I guess at that point, you take it off, Eric, since I have to take care of a uh, family member at the moment. So I'll be right back. So the uh, the Glenside Club is running the picnic today, and... Uh, we, uh, we have a picnic every year, but this year uh, we couldn't do it. So we're just here to eat some food and uh, hang out. Um, I think we've been running uh, Coco Fest since 1992, although I believe we were a club before that day. And um, I think, um, yeah, this, this month we've got uh, officer positions uh, running. So uh, you can vote on uh, who will be president, vice president, uh, trigger. 
Oh, oh you got muted. You muted. You muted, Mike. Eric. Sorry about that. Uh, Taking lessons from David, but go ahead. <laughs> um, so if you're not a member, come join the club, and uh, you can uh, participate, vote, and um, uh, you know get uh, emails and stuff from the club about what's going on. Um, we, our mission is to uh, to help spread awareness of the cocoa and maintain some of the historical uh, records, and we have a lot of a lot of uh, things in our archives. Um, so I guess. Yeah, that's that's the club in a nutshell. We we uh, our main mission lately has been to just run Cocoa Fest every year. So it's your fault the eBay prices are going up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'd say uh, I'd say it's the work of uh, all you guys at Cocoa Talk and uh, and the community being as big as it is. I don't know if there is any other uh, retro computer uh, that is as big as the Cocoa. Uh, for the community, as as far as things for a close knit community, I think that's probably true. I, I some of the other scenes are a lot bigger because they had much bigger user bases to begin with, but they seem to be a little more a little bit more infighting and stuff. Like it seems to be a bit more of a, a contest between different factions. Whereas for the most part, the Cocoa community is, is quite you know homogeneous and, and works together quite well. Mm -hmm. I don't well, think any of them gets together and has a weekly show like this. So that yeah. says yeah. Yeah. Hey, right there. Hey Marco, can you uh, paste the uh, link for the Glenside um, sure. uh, website? Yeah, and the website is uh, glensideccc.com if you want to check us out. We're on Facebook as well. Now right, you right. mentioned that elections are coming up here. Is that, is that next month in October? Yeah, this this month we'll be running elections. We expect to send out an announcement to everybody by next week, um, and then the uh, the announcement. Uh, or the next meeting um, will be announcing the winners, uh, which I think is on the 22nd, October. So so as the people that are running for each position, is that fixed now, or is there still a people coming in? or, or? Well, uh, yeah, that's pretty much fixed now. Uh, although, I mean, if, if you've always wanted to be a member of the club and r help run things, um, we could definitely use your help. So, um, you know, but... Right now, as far as everyone's aware, the uh, the positions are fixed. We're still waiting on a, on one person to um, confirm if they wanted to run. Um, that's so David Lang. Right now. Yeah, cause the reason I'm asking is, did you want to announce like who's running for each position now, or or sure. do we want to wait till next week, or? Sure, we can we can announce that now. Currently, we're uh, the president. Uh, pe the people running for president is uh, myself and uh, Jim Brain. Uh, for vice president, um, I may have to grab my notes actually. Um, John Mark, do you do you remember who was running for vice president? Um, I remember it was Tony Pedraza and Terry Steggy. Yeah, Terry Steggy. Probably. And Terry Stagy. I don't remember if there was another person. I think there was a third person, but you know what? My notes are blank, so we'll have to wait for the uh, the secretary's report um, for the for the for the details. Um, and then I think for treasurer and secretary, the, both those positions were unopposed. So that's going to be Brian Gores for treasurer and uh, uh, Richard Bear. 
for secretary. Right. I okay. only had three listed for vice president. John Mark, Tony Pedraza, and Terry. Okay. So that's okay. that's Anyway, okay. for those of you who want to participate in the club, and, and they do sponsor Cocoa Fest every year and help run it and organize it and everything else. Of course, we did the virtual one this last year. So uh, thanks for helping us on scrambling to get that going with what would everything happen right before that. Um, hopefully we can have an in-person one again next year. But if not, I mean, we can organize another virtual like we did. That actually went fairly well, I think. We had pretty good feedback on that here on Cocoa Talk. I'm, I'm assuming you guys must have had some pretty good feedback with that with the club as well. Yeah, everybody loved that show. Yeah, it was definitely better than nothing and it got everybody together for like what was it five or six hours i can't remember yeah. about how many members are in uh your club well last time i looked it was over 200 active members wow that's not bad yeah and you're based in uh chicago area that's right, in chicago and how often do you guys meet normally i mean I don't know if it's different with uh, virtual meetings versus uh, in person, but is it once a week, once every month, every two months? We meet monthly on the um, third Thursday of the month. Uh, next month we moved it ahead a week. So if you wanna come uh, join our meeting, we'll be on um, at the uh, 22nd. So, um, and then we have uh, Cocoa Fest every year and we have the picnics. And I think those are all of our events basically. And do you guys participate in other events too, like VCF and stuff that are in the Chicago area? Or? That's right. We, we usually run a booth for VCF Midwest and um, I don't know about any other computer shows, although that's always an option. Okay. Sorry, Nick, you were asking something? Do you have details on how people can vote in the uh, election coming up? Yes, you can uh, come to www.tandylist.com and uh, register, log in. Um, we don't have everything ready yet, but by next week we expect to. Um, you do have to be a member of the club, um, so you can uh, reach out to us on our website or Facebook to get the details on how to register um, for for our club. Um, I, the, currently, I believe the dues are $15 a year. Is that right, Brian? So $15 a year to be a member. Yeah. And you guys publish a newsletter too, which I think Stevie's been doing this last yeah, Stevie, year. Stevie runs the newsletter. We publish it quarterly or try to publish it quarterly. Quarterly-ish. Quarterly, <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's been a long time thing. I mean, I remember picking up Glenside uh, newsletters at my very first Rainbow Fest in 86. So you guys were doing it before then even. Yeah. Did you say that uh, they were uh, archiving all those letters, newsletters? Yeah, I think Bob Swoger has been working on that. I don't think we have them released, all, all of them released yet, but if you go to our website, you should see some of them. Um, if you click the splash page on our front, front page. Okay, cool. And, uh, and did, we, did we give that, uh, did we give the website out uh, for, for, the web, for the club, the glensidecc.com? Yeah, I posted it and I'll post a link yeah. to the uh, newsletter okay. just, too. Just for anybody on audio, I just wanted to make sure it was out there. Are you guys one of the oldest clubs in existence for the Coco, or are there is there an older one somewhere? Do you, are you aware? I'm I'm honestly not aware of any other clubs for the Coco specifically. Um, are you guys aware of any other clubs? Not still in existence. I mean, I do know some that you know were around at that time, but not not that still exist. 
Yeah, the club that I was that I'm in here started out as a color computer club, but then they voted to um, change their um, system type to expand to include everybody. So yeah, there's a lot of general retro clubs now, but as far as a a specific Coco-based club, I don't know of any other ones besides Glenn. So I don't just want to count the Facebook group as a club. Well, and our, our Glenside Facebook page is, is on Facebook, too. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not aware of any specific Cocoa Clubs other than ours. Okay. Um, we ready for game on? I certainly oh, yeah. am. Yeah. Are you, Nick? All right. I am. All right, let's roll the footage. All righty. High score challenge All right, welcome to to another week of results. This week we played Digger Three with twenty six people playing. Oh, the great week! Coco Man one hundred, Mark Overhoser three thousand nine hundred, R. Allen Murphy seven thousand three hundred, Mark Bosley ninety five hundred. Michael Klein, 16,400. Adam Tandy Dragon Guy, 33,000. Paul Shoemaker, 34,000. Ben VR Drakes, 98,600. Graham Webke, 110,900. Jim Rye, 112,000. David Ladd, 112,200. Flutterball, 113,200. Joshua, 114,200. Mr. Dave 6309, 116,300. Cat Lord, 120,400. David Croker, 132,700. Ebits the Basement, 146,900. Me, 159,500. Tom C, 161,900. Canadian Retro Things, 183,100. Buck Owens, 209,600. Cargo, 260,300. Sloopy, 335,500. Redbeard, 402,000. El Curtis Boyle, 436,800. And the number one score this week belongs to Tasman with 489,900. That was fantastic and a great week by all. Thank you very much for your submissions. Good job, Curtis Boyle. Wow. I only got second. What are you talking about? Actually, yeah. third if you want to consider Chet's score. It's right up there. Yes, Chet submitted a score unofficially of like 700,000 or something totally out of this world. Chet, did you want to share your screen or do you want me to share my screen? No, you can share yours. Okay. So uh, what, with us today, we have uh, Chet Simpson, the author of Digger 3. Uh, welcome, Chet. Morning. Well, here anyway. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, I'm start setting up to share my screen here. No worries. So, uh, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about the history of, of Digger? Uh, well, Digger actually started as uh, part of um, a uh, exercise, at least for the the first installment. This was done in '91. This was actually a single screen, no no scrolling. And I put that one together um, in about a month. And we, uh, you know, showed a few people at Rainbow Fest, and and this was based on um, 
more way that the uh, that the game played, and that was you know the, basically that you know the, how the uh, um, how the guards or the the monks, depending on which version you play, how they interact with each other, and uh, overlap and all of that. And now they you know may or may not fall through the uh, you know the, the uh, holes that are dug. So some, so. Moving forward to, to 96, there was, uh, you know, some disagreement on what the uh, color computer three was, you know, capable of, and as far as, you know, games and all that, and there was a challenge that was uh, issued by my buddy Eric that, uh, you know, to, to do a, a game similar, or not similar, but to re replicate um, Gold Runner 2000, which was a game that he had written on the MM1, uh, which was, uh, used a larger um, uh Graphics in order to uh, display the level. It was uh, the, the level size was roughly the same. I think it was uh, 39 by 24, whereas uh, you know the, the original game was more 32 or 40 uh, by uh, uh, by 24, depending on which you know game you had. So, you know, throughout the development of this, there was you know a lot of things that uh, that were added into uh, into it for uh, over. Um, what was seen on on uh, you know some of the original versions because there was the bigger graphics there was scrolling in four directions, there was um, uh, an audio soundtrack that was playing in the background along with you know sound effects and, and all that so there was uh, you know uh, since it had been issued as a challenge that there was you know there was time frames and all of that and um, so there was a lot of things that just did not get translated well for you know the block sizes which were in the original gold runner 2000 were 24 by 24 and here they're 16 by 16 okay. and uh, so there was a uh, it's set for I don't know 20 almost 20 years and so a couple of years ago I found a uh, uh, an archive that I had that I've been looking for with some of my Coco stuff in it and part of that was the original um, digger uh, digger 2 code and that was, um, you know, that, that was something I'd, I'd written, what, 96, 97. And so I pulled all of that out, and I, I decided to spend a couple of days to see, you know, if I could even get it to rebuild, you know, uh, as heavy because, you know, some of the tools were missing um, that I had to replicate. And the tools that I'd written uh, before, they were written with a much you know, older version of C, so there were some uh, libraries and stuff that were missing, and I had to get... Uh, so, I, yeah, I got everything built up, and, and a couple of days later, I had everything up and running, you know, all of the... Uh, the disc routines and I got it up on, on a, I only had an emulator at the time um, but I was able to get everything up and, and running and I started tinkering around with it and seeing you know, what else I could do to it and I went through and I started reviewing a lot of the code and, uh, and looking at uh, where there were some weaknesses and, and, and particularly what I wanted to do you know, with my next project and so I started changing some around some of the graphics and changing some of the routines that handle it and so I decided to turn it into kind of a more or less a prototype um, and a, a, a testing ground for some of the stuff that I wanted to do on my next project. So throughout that there was you know some things that were added to uh, uh, the map loading map conversion there was a whole new uh, set of tools that were created to uh, to do it um, over what had been done back in 96 and 97 because when I did it in 96 and 97 I created I took the uh, the assembler that had been um, released by Motorola the official uh, assembler for the 1609 and I added some additional features to it and got that up and running um, oh, there wow. was uh, uh, a new um, development system because I was developing you know since I was building everything on the PC, I needed to be able to communicate with the Coco, so I grabbed a you know the RS232 pack, you know, got that plugged in, and I created a system where I could actually build everything on my PC and then push it on over to the Coco and test it. So it made you know the development um, a, a lot easier. Uh, so a lot of that still carried forward, uh, rather than just you know pushing it out to Coco, just built a, a disk image. So even all of the all of the the, uh, 
the original tools, a lot of them were still um, usable, but I had no map editor, uh, and I wasn't going to go back and, and try to find. I, I don't have my game board editor from back in the day, and I wasn't going to write a new one. Uh, you know, so I, I started looking at some of the tools and, and the things that were available. You know, today that would be allow me to utilize that. So I, I grabbed a, a tool called Tiled, um, pulled apart the uh, uh, file format, installed on XML, and then added a, a conversion process that allows me to uh, handle the object and then generate assembly code from it that I can either embed into my code or, or generate a, a file for it and, and pack it. So there was a whole new set of, of tools that were added to the chain. You know, things that were replaced, uh, new ones. Uh, a couple of the old ones just just were not going to be up to it, um, and then I started adding in uh, you know the, the ability to process that, load that into the into the game, so it, it became a much more um, rich environment. I could actually do more things to it. So instead of just having the uh, uh, the gomers, I was at, able to add other things that you see in the game, such as uh, uh, changing the way that the uh, just the uh, the exit works. I can add, I've added in the bats, which are, are, are completely separate, and a lot of other aspects to it. Damn bats! Um, right. So and then <laughs> they're awesome. So that, and that allowed me a lot of flexibility with um, with the artwork as well. So you know, I, I had already been uh, you know working with uh, with Paul Thayer on, on a lot of the the, uh, the character graphics and, and making sure that the contrast between that and the rest of the uh, the you know the, the world art was going to be good. So some of the, the you know additional tools came into play, and some of the conversions you know came into it. We, there's a you know Piscal that we use for for uh, some of the animations and, and the uh, the, the construction of I know that Paul had used, and then here where we've got the, the the parallax, that's actually kind of a trick that was added in later on. Um, yeah. And then there's actually effects that were added in here that, that did not make it into the game, lighting, uh, translucency effects, and stuff like that, um, that I just didn't have the space to include. So there was a lot that that happened, um, you know, throughout the development of that in order to get to uh, to where you know you see it today. And then, of course, the AI and some of the you know the the, the player input was changed, but there was there was also a lot of things that were just completely left alone because it, it would really require replacing them. Um, and that was kind of out of the scope of what I really wanted to do with this. I mean, it, it was to me, it was just a prototype. This is just a, a testing ground for some of the stuff that I want to do and, oh, wow. and implemented. So it's, um, you know, it, it came in really handy, but rewriting some of that stuff just wasn't going to get me where I wanted to. And I can just write it with the new stuff that I'm going to be doing and, and, and have everything there. Um, you know, it's like the, uh, the those the the parallax there. It's 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 actually just a trick. It's an oversized tile. It's a 32 pixel by 32 pixel tile that takes up you know four tiles, and it just you know does a couple of calculations and renders it in a special way that you get that. It's, it's just part of the 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 tile animation. Well, that that whole section of of you know functionality is going to be completely replaced, and I just wasn't going to do it for this game. So, you know, there's uh there's still a lot more that can be done. I mean, there, there's there's no compiled sprites in here. There's there's no, um, you know, special handling of any of that. There's the, the sound stuff that I worked back in the '80s is in here. So this, yeah, you got your ass trapped. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that's so this is a replay video by Kenny Retro Things, by the way. Oh, cool! He got his ass trapped. <laughs> uh, so you know, there's uh, it, it. It really just came about as as kind of an experiment of something I want to see. You know, well, we'll you know, what can I do with this with what I've got? Because if it was poorly written, I mean, I had so much, so much. The requirements for the original game were just so, um, so minimal that it. There was a lot of CPU cycles left over, so I didn't really care how I wrote them. There were things that in there that I wrote intentionally to be uh, to be bad. A lot of them did get replaced, um, for, particularly for the animations and all of that. But uh, but yeah, this is just really kind of a stepping stone to uh, to kind of the next project. 
Wow, the graphics are beautiful and the animation's really impressive. I love the way like he, they swing he swings his legs as he climbs across the rope and the way he runs and it's really, really impressive. Yeah, Paul did a really good job. We went through you know, several iterations of, of both the, the Gomer and the uh, and the main character, so it was um, you know, it, there was a good evolution of, of the animations and the shading and everything that goes on and that's that's was a real you know stickler with 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 Paul and, and myself as well. That was you know making sure that those contrasted well with with the all the surroundings was was very very important. I love well, the I certainly, lava. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I certainly well, like the parallax and the uh, other background animations that you've got in there as well, like the lava, the um, the uh, the sewer outputs and all the other stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of effects with with those that I didn't get to do, particularly with like the uh, with the um, the sludge falls that w with those coming down. I wanted those to be animated with overlays, um, but there was just not w with the way that the the rendering system was set up for this. It's it's pretty pretty fixed to the still you know to the original design, so it, it was just going to be a lot more effort than it was uh, than it was really worth. So I heard you said this takes up uh, pretty much all of the five twelve K RAM. Yeah, there's it, it does, and there's actually a couple of, of things that I could clean up where I could actually reclaim, reclaim quite a bit of memory because of the way that the um, the screens are um, are rendered. Uh, originally, there was going to be uh, contiguous uh, scrolling in all uh, four directions, and so that was actually going to require some some wraparound. So there's still some considerations within the rendering code for that, but it ended up not being it because of the the, the block size. Um, that I uh, that I chose. So the um, um, hang on a second. I think I'm gonna sneeze. Okay. <laughs> Tell everybody, keep yourselves entertained for a sec uh, as we watch. Uh, Talk amongst oh, yourselves. Oh, that hard is really <laughs> no. hard to get. Oh, you can run through there. Oh, I didn't no. know that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. If so I'm there, there, there was there, there were some things in there that just that, that weren't gonna happen. You know, it it. it um, this amount of time and, and, and effort that would have gone into it just was going to be too much. Well, it's really impressive. You shipped it on a uh, on a 40-track disc image as well, right? Right, right, right. To get a few more uh, K, a few more, uh, a little more space. Well, yeah, I mean, the, well, the, the thing with the, the with the contiguous scrolling was is that because of that, the uh, you don't, uh, I'm using three separate screens because I use a managed back buffer in order to get uh, additional um, performance out of the, the background animations and the updates. So um, because of that, the uh, the way that it renders, you you can actually overlap those the, the screens. So the, the, the bottom of screen one actually becomes the top of, of screen one. Um, but the way that the rendering is set up doesn't allow me to actually change that around in order to reclaim that space, because I didn't. I, didn't actually need to, to use it, so there's there's kind of a bottleneck. I could reclaim it if I rewrote a couple of things, but it it like I said, it just wasn't worth the the, the effort to get it out when uh, when this. But the rest of the things, like the graphics, I think I've got like four or five tiles empty and a couple of sprite uh, uh, slots empty. Uh, but the rest of it, with the sounds, the the, the code, um, I mean, everything is is quite quite large because I do have a lot of tables to to help with performance. Right. So you you must be using a lot of compression on your your sound effects and stuff. I'm assuming when you're loading it, because your your disk image is only 180k. If you're filling 512, I'm assuming there's some yeah. pretty decent decompression going on. 
Well, the the only compression that I use in those is I just I, I just pack everything up so four bytes becomes three because of the, the six versus eight bit type or thing. six yeah because of the, the six and eight and eight bit so I don't really need those so I, I, I those are kind of packed together. In fact, that was one of the original tools that uh, that actually did end up working uh, without any uh, without any hassle was the, the packer for that. But uh, other than that, the only other compression I'm using is just some very basic RLE for the maps. This video is courtesy of you, actually. Oh. Might be an older version, but um, yeah. Maybe I have a ch question in the chat from Raul Mont. He's asking, what what's your next game project? Um, well, my next project isn't actually a game. My next project is going to be a multimedia rendering system uh, in order to facilitate that. Um, it's actually quite large. It, it doesn't explicitly have anything for games. I mean, I'll, I'll be doing some game demos with it. Um, but my next project is likely going to be along the lines of you know an adapt an adaptation of, of the Flash movie. Um, there are several properties within the like the the early eighties like uh, uh, you know Escape from New York, uh, um, Time Bandits, uh, Flash you know the, the uh, Flash Gordon, um, you know some of those that are, are really ripe that, that really never got a good you know game representation. Okay. I really enjoyed the humor in the game. There's nothing like dying and then hear, having the screen tell you, you know, good job sarcastically or, you know, yo, you died or whatever. Well, <laughs> I had to laugh. Yeah, and, I, and I got mad at the game too. I was like, you bastard, you know. But <laughs> There is one change that I'm going to be making and that's going to be to how the, uh, the kindness bonus is handled. Um, with yeah, that's the, tough. Yeah, with the original game, it was much, much easier. Uh, you know, in Digger 2, it was much easier to, to obtain that. Um, but with this, with the some of the additional things, it, it, it you know the, those type of rewards are there to, to you know really reward the player, and so it just it just seems really off. And so I went through uh, you know last night and I kind of spec out some new stuff. So I'm going to change it up so that you know that, that bonus is actually based on a, a per gomer thing. So if you've got like five gomers and you only kill one, you'll get like five thousand each, and then for each level there will be a specific additional bonus if you don't kill any of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you pretty much have to drop them in the hole right away uh, for them to have time to climb out. Uh, the right. And the other one that I'm going to change is that if they fall into the uh, if they fall into the fire killed by the fire, it doesn't count against that. Oh, okay. Yeah, as you see, this this is level 13, which I haven't made it to, so it gets a lot harder with the spikes coming out of the ground and uh, and the right. more areas you can't dig through. And that this looks like it gets uh, very hard very fast. Yeah, it, it does kind of build up, and you've got, uh, you know, you still got, you know, over 20 levels to go. But that being said, I found the first, uh, the first two levels had a nice ramp to them in terms of difficulty. Yeah. And the way it teaches you how to do things like dig sideways and that, which, uh, which you have to be, which you have to do later on. Yeah, the first ten are kind of like boot camp. Rest of them are hard. Yeah. So I'm just barely the boot out of, in your backside. Yeah. I'm barely at a boot camp, so mm -hmm. uh, it's it's really enjoyable. And I have to say, this level 13 that we're looking at here, this is one that I noticed on the game score challenge. Um, a lot of us got stuck in this for a while. It was, it was yeah, like I noticed that first... too. Yeah, I smiled. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, wow. no, I mean that, that's uh, why this, do you hate us? <laughs> this level is actually intended to be a, 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 a kind of a sharper, um, uh, you know, increase in difficulty to kind of prepare you for some of the things that come come afterwards, but. Yeah, it wasn't. It, we left it intentionally that difficult for that reason. Yeah, plus when you get to the the next level, fourteen and fifteen, which are a bit easier once you 
go through once or twice to figure out what you have to do, then it, it's kind of a relief that you finally got past this type thing. So it's yeah, because the, the the key thing about level thirteen is is that the um, there are so many different patterns that you can start off with. You know, if and one of them that is, is pretty easy, if you immediately run to the left, you can actually run over those spikes there. Yeah. And if you go there to, to dig in order to get that one gold, you notice sometimes that guard's there, sometimes it's not. So that it, you have to kind of adjust a little bit more throughout that particular level. But yeah, I've been getting a bit into tips and tricks here, like on level 13 in particular, one that I noticed a couple of us stumbled on, and I don't know if, if you use the same technique or not yourself, is on that one on the left that you have to like unbury and it's buried a couple levels deep. You can actually trap some of the gomers in there so you can free up the rest of the the maze that you only have one or two to deal with instead of all three, mm -hmm. which made it a lot easier. Then you unlock him at the very end and he's picked up the gold so he's got it out of there for you. Yeah. And then you just have to dig and trap him. Yeah, those uh, those tricks are in there intentionally. We, we actually went through and, and tested those to make sure that uh, there was... Um, you know the possibility for you, like if there's a just a single block that they can fall into. How much you know? What was the the, the ease of use of, of getting them in there versus you know your bonus and, and everything else? So there was a lot of stuff that that was balanced in some of those. So you'll see some that that they just seem really obvious that you should be able to trap a guard in there. That's <laughs> we did that intentionally. <laughs> Do you say we? So who did who you worked with, uh, Paul on the on the design of the levels? Paul did a, Paul did a, a lot of the testing uh, as did uh, you know Curtis did some testing but a lot of the the, 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 the key feedback that was um, on those particular items was a lot of his bitching <laughs> uh, feedback I believe yeah that's control. what I call it so yeah that's just a polite <laughs> way of, 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 of doing it so but yeah it, you know the, those you know those things of, of, of him screaming at it and, and and all that was was really helpful in getting a a good gauge on how well other people were going to kind of react to that. So I was like, yeah, that's going to work. <laughs> oh, all I know is I I heard you playing online, and you'd say, oh, you guys are going to hate me. Yeah. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I still have to see this final level where you said we're really going to hate you because. Yeah. 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 Well, you're you gonna... said... Go ahead. Uh, 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 the only thing that the only thing that I will tell you about the, the the last few levels is that sometimes you just have to stop and think. Well, you said on the level before the last level, you're you're awarded quite a few lives, and you're going to need them. Is that uh, 16. accurate? Sixteen. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> definitely going to be a challenge. And the warp, you can't warp all the way to the end, can you? Sure, you can. Oh yeah. You have to oh, earn yeah. your way up to get the uh, passcodes, but. Oh yeah. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing here, though is, is is that you know, and and you you have to understand about the the level before that. You know, the, with with those sixteen lives, those sixteen lives come at a cost of aggravation. Yeah, of course. So you know, having those there, and depending on on you know how well you do with with um, with the last level, you may be more inclined to go through that every time. Yeah, you yeah your, your choice would be to start with like what is the standard five lives or four lives? Five li five lives. Five lives. So you could start the last level with just five, or you go through the aggravating level before it to try to get your bonus sixteen, so you have twenty one to do it with. Right. Right. That's oh, that's cool. That that's a good. Uh... Yeah, it's it's, it's just it's just a it's not a it's not tedious or or um, or uh, or really boring in, in any way. It's just it, it does it's one of those things that does kind of keep you on your toes and and it's really meant to kind of get you in that mood when you start doing it because in in this case you're doing all that moving and you're going to need it for that last level. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh... And also, uh, so the game is free, but you're asking if people enjoy it to make a donation. That's correct. 
Yes, yes, to the United Negro College Fund, uncf.org. Yes. That's a great cause. Yes, it is. And you have an itch.io uh, presence now, right? Yes, I decided to go ahead and throw it up on on itch. It made it easier to just distribute it. I mean, uh, it's up in the archive. It's been, you know been real great about getting it up there, you know, pretty quick. So that's been helpful. And of course, you know, Facebook. But this this makes it a little bit easier because you know I've got the manual and everything posted all in the same spot. So and I've okay. actually had some. Uh, it's uh, I've actually had some some views from uh, uh, a couple of uh, non coco uh, channels. So that's uh, it's interesting to see that uh, you know that come through. But oh great. I don't know, yeah, so I, I think another video popped up on on YouTube uh, a couple day or two ago. Um, I haven't actually had a chance oh, to wow. check it out. Yeah, so that's great uh, for the cocoa. Yeah, that's really good for the cocoa because we don't normally get a lot of exposure outside the uh, Tandy uh, family. Yeah, but the Septandy's actually been giving us a lot of exposure this year, which is nice too. So. Yeah, yeah and I put out a video for that too. That was uh, uh, I've gotten some some links from there. In fact, I think I'm going to go back and update the video to give, have a link to the uh, to the itch site. So, what's your uh, user ID on uh, on on uh, itch? Hypertech Gaming. Yeah, there's a link to it in the uh, Game On news. We'll get to too. So that's, oh, uh, great! Sorry, I just posted it as there. well. All right. Well, thank you very much. Are there any other questions from the panel or the chat room for? Or any uh, any tips and suggestions from people to playing it? I I still prefer playing with keyboard myself for the most part, just because that's how I'm used to playing Load Runner and Digger Two and Gold Runner Two Thousand, etc. But I best thing, I, yeah, best advice I can give is don't die. <laughs> <laughs> so useful. I used oh, to I, say, I have one question. Oh yes. <clears throat> um, what what did you think of the eventual composite palette? Because I know that we had some people that were trying to play it who don't have RGB monitors and want to play it on the real hardware. And I know you were kind of resistant to that because yeah. the color looks like crap. You and Nick totally agree on that, Nick Morantes. Well, there's my, a disclaimer uh, there if you want to. <laughs> that. Yeah, that's that's. Oh, it's a that was, it's that a, was about image. as polite as I could get that one. <laughs> Geriatric yeah. is televisions. Yeah, image well, quality you know, on your I mean, display is not guaranteed. Yeah, it, it's just not. I mean, it, I, I don't object so much to you know a composite monitor. I mean, I, I, I can actually you know kind of accept that that's that's not too bad. But the the, the presentation on a television is, is is just terrible in my opinion. Um, and in order to compensate for that you uh, at least on, on some of the older televisions because the quality varies you know so much on those you do kind of want to have at least some variation in the graphics i mean when you go from uh you know something that was designed to that into something that is you know like more rgb-ish or, or more modern you don't really see too much of a, a of a difference it looks better certainly but going the other direction it's just just looks terrible so yeah if you're a bit, yeah if you're using it on a geriatric television then wow you suck. <laughs> um, at least go black and white. Seriously, go black and white. But yeah, I mean, a composite monitor shouldn't be bad. I, I thought that the 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 uh, the scenes on on the composite the, still, you know, blues are, are still difficult to um, to do, which is is used heavily in here and, and part of the, the you know the contrast with the, the the main player. So, you know, that was pretty much my concern is how much that was going to blend in. But it does it does seem to look pretty good. Yeah, I know a few people have. Uh said to pass along some thanks to you for uh, actually doing that since they do want to play it on, on real hardware and, and they don't have an RGB monitor. Those are getting harder right. to find. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. I'm also working on trying to get the best interleaf for playing on real floppy disks as hmm. well. Uh, only only David. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Monitor. Close it monitor. Mm. Op optimization comes in all forms. <laughs> So for the people that played it that are on the panel now, well, 
what 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 t- tips and tricks or what were your most frustrating moments or I liked using a Sega controller and I found that sometimes it's best not to kill the guards especially when you're near the end because then they'll drop down from the bottom when you're going for the exit and kill you that happened to me more than a few times and was very fun and, and that really made me mad <laughs> I had a frustrating time with my Sega controller I probably should have used the keyboard which I always use with Loadrunner so um, Scott- for me I was using a PS4 controller on my desktop with main and it was uh, working just fine but then again I prefer the thumbstick controllers so Scott Cooper in chat says this game made me say things I'm not proud of <laughs> to which awesome. I think Chet would say mission accomplished Chet, Chet would be proud though so that, that's okay oh, yeah. good for him <laughs> Uh, Jim R in chat is asking, where did some of the sounds come from? The sounds. Uh, all of this, uh, almost all of the sounds came from the original Gold Runner 2000. Uh, those were done uh, by Art Critchlow. Uh, so those are all sampled from uh, various songs. I know that uh, uh, at least one of them is Michael Jackson. I'm not really positive where all of them came from. Um, oh. And then there was a couple that were added uh, uh, for specifically for Digger Three that came from from other sources for. Uh, the, uh, the Golgothan um, and the spikes. And I heard you say that you're getting tired of hearing some of the sound effects because you've been playing the game so much? Uh, some of them, yeah. <laughs> it, it does get a little old. Um, well, would well, you I, like some more personalized audio? I'm sure I could give you some better quality ones. Just because you played a lot, a lot to test it, obviously. So well, there's, like... there's a lot of the levels that I tested had a lot of gold on them. Yeah. So I mean, those were those were especially difficult. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, the, you know, it, it's they don't bother me so much anymore as as they did, you know, during the development of it. Particularly when I was doing a lot of heavy um, testing. So it's you know they're, they're all right. I mean, the, the I, I like the, the uh, they just really hit the point. Particularly the the exit sound, the the uh, all of the gold collected. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, all of that is is really good. But the you know once you the, the one where you pick up a gold is, is you know being the most uh, you know prominent one there, it does get tiring after a bit. Well, I wasn't dissing the sound effects; I was more commenting how much you had to play to test the game. Yeah, so, the, uh, I, I love the sound I, effects. I love the sound uh, effects. The um, uh, I've actually been trying to duplicate some of the uh, the, the that theme and for uh, uh, chip tunes. And uh, but yeah, it didn't uh, didn't turn out too well. So yeah, for the, the they are uh, you know a fantastic set of, of of sounds, particularly for this game. And you uh, actually and, pulled some sound effects out too, didn't you? At the last minute, you had a few optional ones in there before. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much the sound effects themselves as it was the code. Yeah, you could turn sounds off at one point, or was that just for the uh, the, the well, datas? You yeah, you had sounds. I mean, those were really just for for um, you know gauging uh, performance they were never really meant for the you know production um, yeah cuz you had walking sounds and climbing ladder sounds and right so i the, the uh, i have a, a slightly longer version of the golgothan sound in there um, so this might be an impossible question to answer but uh, roughly how long would you say it took in like contiguously to write this game in terms of days weeks hours like whatever like i know calendar was a couple years but like would you say it was like contiguous time would be a couple few months or oh i'd say less than six months okay i mean I, I i can actually pull those metrics out based on my um by my commits to svn um 
because I mean I'll do a commit at least every couple of hours when I'm working on something heavily so it's uh, you know you had two hours to, to the last end time and, and that's you know pretty much uh, pretty much what you got and I've got several you know projects that I can uh, I could do that too but yeah I'd say less than six months because a lot of it was um, there was a lot of interruptions um, particularly with uh, with uh, you know COVID and, and other yeah. things going on so there was there were swaths where I didn't get a chance to work on anything for you know three four months at a time yeah well, it's well worth the wait, man. Thank you. What a, what a great uh, gift to the community. And definitely very talented. And then I, I have a, another question for you too, Chet. Um, it, it, you said it took roughly about six months of actual programming time to get right. this done. Uh, how long do you think it'll take somebody to go all the way through and win it? And then number two, have you actually been able to complete the game yourself starting on level one, or do you have to use the work code yourself? I have played the game through from start to finish that was a requirement for a release. That's why the game had been done and it, it actually took me a while to release it is that I had to go through from start to finish oh, that's um, cool. on, on all levels on, on, in a single um, sitting. So I'm not going to tell you how long it takes. Okay, yeah, but do you expect kinda... it to be months before somebody else manages oh, to get oh, over Oh, you mean it? how long you it takes for them to, to master it? Um, yeah. You could probably master this game in, in, you know, I don't know, four to six weeks of, of you know some, some good playing. Um, and but that really depends on you know your level of, of experience with those you know type of games. You may pick it up really quickly and hey, you know a couple of weeks, boy, you've you've kicked the shit out of it. Um, but at the same time, you may be um, you know a bit rusty at it. Maybe you haven't played something like this in you know a decade or so, and then you kind of get back into it, and, and it takes you a few weeks. But yeah, anywhere from two to six weeks, I would say, depending on your skill level. For whoever just asked, thank God, yes, there is a pause key. It's P. I was that was me. I was wondering. And then and then enter to start again. Yeah. The first time I paused, I didn't know how to uh -huh. unpause it, and I thought I was gonna have to. Use <laughs> I was so and I was like, oh no, I don't want to lose this. So I, I hit every key. I considered <laughs> pulling the pause out of it. I actually considered having you know, if you want to break, you got to complete the level or or sacrifice. <laughs> or again, where it depends. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> I, I got to say, I, I, if you're gonna pause my game, I'm gonna be a little offended by that. I mean, your 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 pee break is not as important as, as my game. <laughs> See, for me, it was on my my best game that I did. I actually ended up losing the like because I didn't hit the pause key fast enough. <clears throat> but it was a phone call that came in that screwed me up. Oh yeah. Because my my See, phone's linked to my computer, and I was playing it on VCC, and all of a sudden this stupid pop up comes, which takes the focus away from the game. So I was on lost control of the game. Mm -hmm. So I either have to answer the call or decline the call really quick. And by that time, I died. <laughs> Did I see you're able to dig in the blue where there's blue covering the bricks? You shouldn't be able to, no. Oh, okay. Maybe I missed saw it. So you mean the the blue? Oh, yeah, those you can. Yeah. Okay, what is right the blue top then? Those let them run faster. Oh, okay. See, I didn't make it this far. <laughs> now, no, now okay. when when you dig a hole there and they fall in, they also come out faster too, don't they? Yes. Yeah, they come like, out faster and the hole closes up quicker. Oh wow! So yeah, it's like the a... Gomer's fast jelly. Oh neat! Yeah, you don't want. I love the green slime too. Yeah, I, I I really like that 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 animation that turned That's out cute. really really well. That was one of the that was one of the the first uh, updates that I did was to add uh, you know a little bit more um, animation that in the uh, um, at the uh, uh, bubbling lava. The first the time green I saw slime the intro is beautiful. Screen. The first time I saw the intro screen, yeah, the green slime and the lava really grabbed my attention. And oddly enough, this this actually uses the the same um, palette 
as, or nearly the same palette as uh, as Digger too. In fact, I'd have to go back and look. I think it's the default palette that I use for Image Master. Well, it's a, it's a nice wide variety <clears throat> variety palette that actually covers all the basic colors and <clears throat> adds in a few like browns and stuff for ground and things. So it's a it's a nice palette to pick from. Yeah, it really fit you know the, this game pretty well. So it, you know, and even with the even a lot of it wasn't used extensively in Digger too because there wasn't you know the the graphics were really really minimal. It was it looked like just a giant, you know, bigger version of, of uh, Load Runner, um, and then there was uh, some other tiles that actually weren't used. The other thing that I liked, I uh, thought was cool, but also hated, is you don't get credit for the heart until you clear the level. So I didn't realize that at first. I was like, oh, you just get the heart and you can keep playing again and again. But no, right, you clear the <laughs> level, <laughs> which yeah, is actually you know, a good decision uh, design-wise, but for the, but uh, for, you know, doesn't benefit the player obviously well sure it does <laughs> actually yeah it does because it, it, rather than being only able to get one you can actually get more than, than one yes for completing the level so it, it, yes. it, there is a, a huge benefit that's why you get those 16 on that on that on that last or next to last level to kind of help you through it so there's yeah it's it's there's yeah, always it plays, a trade-off it plays to the player's greed factor too because sometimes they're a little bit out of the way a little bit harder to get to you have a better chance of dying trying to get them. So do you take the risk and go for both hearts on the level, or do you just grab the easy one and then just say, screw it and go on to the next? Yeah, I always try to get the hearts right away because I, I wanted to... Yeah, for me, so on some of the later levels, I actually I get like the easy heart and I'll just leave the other one unless I've got a real opportune time where the gomers aren't anywhere near me or type of thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll go get it then. But sometimes I just go, you know, it's not worth the risk here because I'll probably die and lose it anyway. <laughs> Sorry, this is Canadian Retro Things video. He was testing older versions, so he was showing how it looked in composite, but of course he fixed that with the composite yeah. uh, release. That's why I'm skipping part of his video. But uh, yeah, again, thank you for releasing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an awesome game. I, I can't praise it enough. I, like I said, I, I put it in my top five Coco 3 games of all time at this point. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen people say this is, one this is the game they'll pull out to show their friends what the Coco 3 is capable of. Yeah, I've been seeing some some comments like that. That's it's always definitely good to to, to see that uh, you know yeah. it's uh, it's it's a mixture between yeah. those and and we hate Chet for designing levels. It was yeah. yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I I am looking at uh, once I get everything cleaned up and and um, you know situated from you know the, and do a postmortem on this. I'm going to work on getting the uh, the details for uh, being able to create your own levels because you'll you'll have to go through. I mean, you, you can you know replace all of the uh, the levels easy enough, um, so you have to kind of build a whole, you know, kind of a whole pack of, of all the, you know, all the levels. Um, but it's actually pretty easy to, to to do once you know with the tool, and, and I'm hoping to actually kind of integrate it a little bit with a uh, with a plugin for Tiled, so that you can just run it from, uh, you know, from, from within that. Uh, oh, that would be neat. Limit. Yeah, because I mean, there's you know, like with uh, I, there certainly wasn't enough space to to add, and, and I wasn't going to spend the time to add a a, a level editor to this like I did with with Digger One, um, especially when I can just release the, the details on on using the tool. Um, you just have to replace the levels file because all of them are loaded into memory uh, at, at, uh, at startup. Yeah, it'd be interesting because we can actually have a bit of a competition not only to play new levels that other people have designed at that point, but even just have a competition to you know make interesting levels. Yeah, if people could swap them somehow, that'd be really cool, really fun. And then yeah, people like, can get back at Chet and create levels that he hates, so that'll be mm -hmm. good. Uh, I'd like to mix a uh, make a, a a tournament version with just like ten of the hardest levels we can find. Ooh, 
That'd be so cool. is there a uh, digger uh, digger four on the horizon? No, no. This, <laughs> this is, is the end the, of the series. Yeah, this is it. Um, the uh, I mean, even even the the uh, the demos stuff, you know, just for for kind of testing my next project are, aren't going to be anywhere close to this. Um, you know, there's just there's a whole lot more that can be done. You know, depending on how you set up the the rendering for for everything. You know, with, with you know, like the uh, the um, the parallax there, you know, like I said before, it's just an oversized tile kind of a trick. But at the same time, you know, I've also got to draw that rope right on top of it. So, you know, how that type of, of situation is, is handled, there's there's a lot that can be done, um, largely in part because of the 68 or 9, just because of, of how powerful it is. Um, so, yeah, the, it's uh, this game is definitely, or this, this series is completely done. Although you said you may do some update to to this to this game to fix to uh, change the, uh, the uh, tweaks, bonus. I think basically yeah. tweaks. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing an update. I mean, as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, that's really a bug. I mean, because the intent there is to to you know reward the player for um, you know being able to to meet a certain criteria. And it just it just is an overall bad experience. So it, it's a bug. It's something that needs to be corrected. Um, you know, doing levels. That's you know that's something I'm going to let the, the community do. I'll just collect them and release them as a um, you know kind of an official thing if if I can find enough you know really difficult levels to to do. I mean anything that really makes me scream definitely I'm going to put out. <laughs> <laughs> so you want us to suffer, but you want us to suffer fairly. I want you. I want I, what? I, no, I, I want everybody to make everybody else suffer. I mean, this is all you know. <laughs> you know, the, consider consider this like you know the the, the purge of, of digger levels. You know, you, you go through and you make other people suffer. And you, you see how I like it. It's the, the dark side. Here's your free game. Now here's a level generator. <laughs> right. <laughs> make it as difficult as you can. And then and then, and then you got to get everybody either on Discord or, or or Zoom or something, and get everybody playing at the time, so everybody's screaming and cursing each other at the same time. It's a great experience. You get you get that smack talking to me. You know, that, that's why you know you've, you've got those those less than stellar compliments in the uh, when you die at each level. I mean, you got to have a friend there sitting there, you know, right next to you or behind you talking smack when you die. And, exactly. And since you, you know you really don't have that anymore, I th I thought I'd go ahead and take care of that for you. So you know, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> It's a gift that keeps on giving. That's right. I yeah, thought it was finger. funny. I thought yeah. it was really funny. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, I, I know a couple of people have, have posted that that you know that they aren't particularly too happy about it. So my suggestion is to do what we did back in the day and load up uh, Disk Zap and change it to whatever you want. There you go. Yep. Yep. I am not gonna. My feelings are not gonna be hurt at all. So they just stored in clear text in the uh, in the binary then. Yeah, but if you screw it up, I don't care. Don't come to me for help. <laughs> if you if you go in there and you change something, you start going in there with this app and you change something. Oh, it won't load now. What do I do? It's like I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no software support at that point. Right. There's the, you're on your you're pretty much on your own. But yeah, if you want to change if if you want to go and change, if you want to go and change the graphics, go right on ahead. I mean, they're they're not compressed. They're just flat. <laughs> yeah, I I went in to change the colors for the first composite test, but that's right. all I did. I I may update that to make that a little bit easier, but I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think there's gonna be any need to change that. Um, uh, although uh, there are some changes that uh, that I have made that are not released yet for the Gimme X. Um, those are mostly uh, levels, so I I will kind of do that because it, it kind of dresses them where you get more animations, particularly in the background, um, and you get some more benign animations from from other characters. So. Uh, 
there will be an update, but it's not really. I mean, I've already done all of that code, but uh, so th there will be some stuff for the Gibby X that will be on there. So when you do get that, you know, you, you've got the you know game that'll give even more animations and, and more speed on that. Oh, cool! I'm looking forward to that. I've been playing with the Gibby X, and I mean, just the speed increase I've right. seen on my stuff, and that's junior league stuff compared to this is pretty impressive. So yeah, there's there's a a, a bit more um, parallax, and that that really does. It makes a difference. It really does. So, uh, you know, and you've, I've got a whole extra megahertz to drop some of that stuff on there. So, um, and it's you know somewhat optimized. I guess it could probably be more optimized with the you know specifically with the um, uh, some compile sprites specifically that because those are, are pretty basic. And, and uh, but yeah, there's there's a, like I said, there's still a ton left to do. And I, I wanted to ask you. You were talking about you know releasing the level editor and getting other people to create levels. I was wondering, did Paul contribute to level design, or was he more on the graphic side, the tiles and icons? And uh, he was uh, uh, the uh, player and character, and uh, he did the the player main uh, character sprite there. He did the Gomer uh, sprites, and he did the uh, the bat sprite. In fact, the bat sprite came. That was what got my attention. Um, uh, to, to bring him on was the, the work that he'd done um, with that bat and, and some of the background as you'll see here came from uh, the stuff that he did for uh, Downland 2 or the Downland sequel that he oh, right. yep. thinking about doing so the, the background came from that and the bat came from that so that was when I bring on the, the, the rest of the uh, the, the tiles um, I did and you know of course in the, the animations and then the, uh, the Golgothan the spikes I did and a buddy of mine, Pat, I don't know if his stuff, I don't think the t couple of tiles that he did for me were actually used in any of the levels. Um, but yeah, so the, the, there was a lot of different people involved in the graphics. Okay, so but the all the levels designs were all yours then, as far as the level layouts? No, actually some of the, the um, uh, levels originate from both, uh, uh, or from, well, Digger one, there's a couple of those levels in there. There's one uh, the or two, right? yeah, and then there's uh, some. Uh, I think five or six uh, from uh, Gold Runner 2000, and of course they were also in, in, in Digger two, but they've been um, adjusted slightly to accommodate the the updates to the UI um, and some of the newer elements within the game. So they are, uh, it's a fresh new take on those levels and. You know, a lot of I don't think a lot of people that are playing Digger Three now were really exposed to some of those, nor would they really. Uh, I, personally, I wouldn't. I'd like to see that game just go away because it was just terrible. Um, that uh, so, you know, huh? Yeah, Which yeah. One? I, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm really unhappy with that. Oh. Um, so, the uh, you know, the, the, there is some you know some some aspects there that uh, with within those levels that I I think brings a whole new experience, particularly to those levels, and, and certainly changes. Um, you know a lot of a uh, lot of different aspects of it. I mean, there were things that were you know the pathing for the the gomers. Certainly, if I just dropped those those in, and this was one of the the, uh, the big problems that I have with with Digger Two. Um, just dropping those levels in based on the AI that I'm using for this game doesn't necessarily match that those you know for that level. And it doesn't mean that they could be in fact with Digger Two. A lot of them end up being pretty bad. Well, I mean, you wrote Digger 2 slash Cold Under 2000 kind of under duress for part of the challenge. You had a time limit, um, so you couldn't, you know... Well, yeah, but I also... Uh, all of the AI, though, was, was prototyped um, on uh, uh, on PC. I wrote a, a prototype for the game in C in, in, in a couple of weeks um, just to get, you know, the scrolling and, and, and some of the control aspects of it down see what I was going to have to do for it. 
Um, so a lot of the AI that came out of that was done within that prototype and then translated over over to C. So there was, um, and unfortunately, I didn't have um, access to the MM1 version at that time. Um, and and I, I probably, I, and that may have just been because I didn't you know, really think about doing that type of comparison. Um, and I, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time with the with the you know looking through the original code in order to get that up there. So there was uh, the difference in, in AI made a huge difference in that particular game so there the, the uh, um, you know for what it for you know what's worth some a lot of those levels just it, it doesn't really play as well as it should and then uh, I was going to ask because we, we kind of asked you this last time when you announced the uh, game was getting released but uh, have you had a chance last week to have as Eric actually played it and got back to you on feedback on actually playing it or no actually I've got a copy that I'm putting together to send to him Okay, is it a special copy? copy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, a what? A special copy? Yes, it's this is a very <laughs> like I said, it's a fantastic game, one of the uh definite showpieces for the Coco. And Yeah, uh, it is. It's it's uh, you know, there was a lot of, you know, time that went into to doing the graphics and, and getting that. I mean, that was a, a huge part. I mean, a lot of this stuff went through several different revisions, um especially the, you know, the, the diggable blocks and the different variations of it. Um, so you know that uh, that's that's definitely good to hear. That, you know that, that yeah, that, the whole side digging thing. I mean, that added a whole other element to the game that wasn't in the original Gold Runner two thousand or or Digger two. So. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that also caused a few problems because I had to go back and and retest a, a lot of aspects for each individual level um, to see where if there was any hidden spots that where that could be used that you know might be too advantage too advantageous to the player. <laughs> And there was a couple in there that were really, really questionable that I left in, but we'll see how people can use them. Well, I got to say, one of the most frustrating sounds in this game, a gomer's coming at you, you mm. hit the dig button, and you get that thud that won't let you dig, and you're, mm. and you, and you're like, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> that, that, was a heart, that was a heart-wrenching sound. Yeah, a lot of times when I do that, it's because I'm pointing in the wrong direction when I hit that button. Uh, yeah, and that's one big difference between all the... the gold runner style games on the coco is that basically you, you always de- dug in the direction that you're facing whereas the original apple 2 one you you had two keys you know dig left dig right didn't matter which way you're right. facing yeah okay all right well uh, if anybody else has any questions for chat i i i, I uh, thank you very much for being here and answering our questions and again thank you for this game yeah and, thanks for uh, you're welcome and uh, looking forward I, to the next project too. Yes, definitely. Yeah, well, you know, some of the I, I can't give you an idea what some of the demos are going to be because I've, I've actually been talking with uh, with Paul uh, about a couple of them. So, that, like, the, the, there's um, you know certain aspects to to vertical scrolling and um, some of the things I'm doing, particularly with you know long maps um, and overlays and special effects. So, there's kind of a uh, some of the things I'm going to be releasing are going to be um, they're not going to be. Uh, Real games, they're going to have a lot of game elements, but they're not going to have like scoring and all that. And but you know, kind of boat racing and and um, just playing around with some of the more uh, fun aspects of, uh, of of games. You know, like some of the micro racing games and you know, mi- micro machines and oh yeah, and, uh, and, and just to kind of uh, to flesh out a lot of the animations and the rendering system, particularly. It's kind of like game engine tech demos that are semi playable type thing. Yeah, so, similar to that. Um, it, it, I, I don't know if I, how far I'm going to actually take them, but yeah, there's going to be some some interesting things to to come out, particularly for the uh, the, the effects. Um, 
you know, things like shadowing and, and, and lighting and all of that is it, it really makes a big difference uh, to some to, to the presentation of some games in it. <laughs> so it's going to be some, some pretty fun stuff. Are, are you yeah. planning on having that engine support the Gimme X2 with the extended palette for shading and lighting and stuff? Um, yeah, that's uh, the the color control. The the way that everything is designed is is that you know the, it's got a modular approach. So things like the the color control can be um, swapped in and out depending on uh, and controlled from various uh, you know portions of the code and synced. So there's there's it's really kind of too early to to say exactly how a lot of that stuff is going to be handled. But I, I really want to get you know support for a lot of the stuff in the Gimme X. Um, just to make sure that you know it can be taken a, a, a advantage of without me actually actually having to go in and change any of the projects that I'm working on. It's, okay. uh, I think I think for me, for me it's like demos in general because if you have a demo a demo is fluid from one part to the other and you've got transitions and stuff like that and the transitions can you use in a game to make it so much better. Um, yeah, the, there's, the, and you know, the, dealing with the transitions is is a little bit different. That was one of the reasons back in the day that I created um, an app called Studio Twenty Nine was to handle you know setting up all of those animations and those transitions, um, and, and not just uh, you know like between scenes of the game, but say one particular type of, of sprite for a character to another. Whether you know, like a, if you look at Dexter is kind of a good example. Where, you know, the, the you go from a you know kind of a robot to something that's flying around. Doing those kind of transitions and all of that. In fact, I can, I have something up that I was working on before this that I can actually show you what I'm talking about. Um, so in in modern days, this would be something like. Um, let me see, uh, let's see what can I get film. You want to share your screen then, Cheddar? Yeah. Let me. Uh... I stopped sharing. All right. Actually, you can see this on my. Uh, you can just pin me up there, because this is on my. I've got this on my webcam. Animation. Um, so what I'm using now is an application called HitFilm, which is free. Um, unfortunately, the file format is not documented, um, but I've done some work for the uh, on stuff like this in the past in importing some of their animations for uh, more modern uh, stuff. So I've already got that aspect of uh, within my tool set to use. So in doing this for the Coco 3, all I have to do is make sure that you know one I can convert all of the assets over. And that I can, you know, associate them with a particular keyframe. So this is actually something that I'm doing as part of the loading thing, which will be used as kind of a miniature part of, of the uh, the animation system that that is in this presentation layer. So um, when uh, I'm on the wrong window, you so said HitFilm is the product. HitFilms, yeah, HitFilms. So there's a, a, it's called HitFilm Express, and it's it's free. You can, you know, a lot of the effects won't translate. And I've used this before for doing for creating FLC files or you know or, or FLC like files, which are flickers, and have a, use a delta compression for one frame to the other uh, for intro. So in, in, in this particular one, I just have, um, you know, several images that I've imported. You know, uh, this is the Emperor from um, Super Return of the Jedi or Super Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Uh, so he's got six frames, and then I've got a couple of frames of, of lightning, and then you know four of my logo. And I just composite these together um, in a series of animations. And this is a, a just a nonlinear layered editor, um, and of course this compresses all the layers down and, and creates a, a single sequence um, of items that can be played back. And so it just uses some 
and there is some sound associated with that. So it takes that and it translates that into a sequence of uh, of commands that I can do, and it packages up all of the uh, the animations to it. And of course, that's part of a larger um, you know build system that you know builds you know takes all all assets into account, and just goes ahead and and, and we'll just play this for you. So a lot of this is actually coming out of, of some of my notes from the stuff that I was doing on, on, on the last version of um, uh, of Studio 29. Some of the the, the, key, the the changes that I was making to the keyframe because I'd gone from uh, a, a single frame or a single key for every single frame to actually using uh, interpolation to determine the the, uh, the, the position between uh, two different things. I don't oh, I didn't have curves and all that. And then of course I'm adding some stuff that I've learned over the years, you know, in, in, in dealing with this kind of stuff in, in my day to day work. Um, so you know, this is just a real simple, you know, animation. All you got to do is pack it up. But you know, being able to get this on the Coco, um, you know, back in the day, we really, really didn't have any any you know programs to do that. We, we had you know, uh, was it soundtracks for for sound? But then you know, the rest of it you kind of had to do yourself. So, um, you know, Eric and I, we both had you know, Game Board Editor, Image Master, and then I had Studio 29 for the animations. And now I'm I'm really taking kind of the all the stuff that I did back in the day and finding equivalents that I can use on my PC today and and make a couple of conversion programs to kind of get the same get get to the same position that I was, you know, thirty okay. years ago. Chet, we have a very nice sprite compiler going on right here. I don't know Interesting. If uh, talk to Paul Fiscarelli. We have a very nice sprite compiler going on here. Mm -hmm. And it can do stack blast, it can do everything. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to talk and to him about that. Don't don't make don't make something that's already there. Don't reinvent the wheel. How do you know I don't already have one? <laughs> Come on, we we've got a really nice sprite compiler going on, and it w really works. And you can you can change the size of the screen, you can change everything, and it will spit out the code for you. It will spit out FCBs or code or anything. Does it handle the sharing for um, uh, the uh, uh, edge of the uh, continuous scrolling for horizontal? Uh, H V N stuff, right? Um, uh, we probably need to connect on that. You probably, probably need to, you probably need to tell me about the sharing because it's probably one single scan line. Yes, yeah, you you have to deal with that wraparound. It's um, probably one single scan line. Um, but please, 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 I've tried to talk to you on Discord and stuff like that, and you've not connected to me right now. So please connect to me. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'll uh, I will get with you on that. Okay, I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any further questions yeah. for Chet or any any from the chat that I've missed uh, scrolling by there, Nick? Uh, none that I've seen, other than somebody jokingly asked if they can get a copy on cassette of Digger. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I, I, I can do that for you. If you really want to sit through that type of, of anguish, then yeah, I am absolutely <laughs> more than happy to assist you with that. Um, yeah, I, in fact, Chats I can. all add, about the anguish. Yeah, I'll, I'll, even, I'll even add in some special loading screens just for you. I've got some really cool animations, takes about a meg. Um, so I, I expect that uh, you know the, the given the, the cost of tapes, it'll probably cost you about five or six hundred dollars because it's going to be a lot of cassettes. You need like a ninety-minute tape to load this thing, or what? Oh, you—that's that's just for the first loading screen, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make my money off of this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's uh, 
Are we ready for next week's game? Uh, almost. Hold on, give me one sec. What, you haven't decided yet? No, no, I have decided. I'm trying to, I'm trying to reshare, and I'm having some difficulties. Can you guys see the screen? Yep, we see oh, Digger, Digger 3. Oh, Digger again? again? Cool. Next week's <laughs> game is the Digger 3 game engine. All right, so. Next week it's it the cassette so edition. The Next week's <laughs> game is actually a requested game, and it will be Defense. defense. Nice. Which is a missile command clone for the Coco yep. 1 and 2. and the Love it. Also yeah. runs on a three. Guess who requested it? <laughs> who just I'm guessing Ron Delvaux who myself. Just said love it. Exactly. So love Ron, it. Ron, I'm expecting a score submission this week. I, I played this from '82 on. Excellent. So yeah, it was distributed by Spectral, from what I remember. Yeah, it's a great game. So you'll need a digital. Uh, sorry, you'll need an analog uh, joystick for this, like the Black Beauty, because it's uh, you have to be able to move your uh, crosshairs around. Uh, but yeah, it's a great game. Count me in. All right. <laughs> so, and, and for uh, those not familiar, uh, this this version of Missile Command is based on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred style, so you don't have the uh, being able to fire from three separate areas. It always fires from the middle. Yes, and you have more than one. And it looks like you only have like ten uh, ten shots, but there's actually multiple. Uh, yeah, those white dots on the far left and the far right is another ten in your reserve, basically, and those disappear right. as you use them up too. Yeah. Right. So it's a and great game. You get wild things come down. Oh, yes. Yes. You get these ones that are really hard to... Little crosses that come down and uh, they go sideways. Yeah. Yeah, the smart bombs, it's uh, Mm -hmm. like like Polaris does. Polaris is more based on the arcade one where you have the three different firing ones and you have to strategize. Like, I can get a shorter, quicker shot if I fire from over here instead. Uh, But this is much easier to play with a joystick because the other one you have to switch between keyboard. You know, we have to fire from three keyboard keys because we don't have three joystick buttons. So this one's a lot easier to, to learn. So again, it's called Defense, and it's uh, it, it's in, in usual places. And you know, I uh, think I think there was a Coco Three version somewhere. When, when uh, this comes up, it's red instead of uh, yellow. So no, a, I'm, like I'm, a palette hacked version, like an RGB version. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't no. know. I don't know, Nick. I'm really on defense about this one. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> I can't follow that up with anything. So I think I'm going to end this segment You're right defenseless. now. Oh, God. Help us all. <laughs> it's getting worse and worse. I was going to say thank you guys. but Well, thank you guys who played. No thank you, Curtis and uh, Jason, for those terrible jokes. And uh, we, we live to serve. Nick, well, in their defense, uh, it was pretty funny. Oh, God. Help me. Nick, next weekend. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. See you next. Nick, week. Next, next week when you uh, show this, uh, put the put my little banner up I made. Okay. You know, next week when you yeah, show the absolutely. game. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, and we want a gameplay video from you, Ron, too, because you oh, never yeah, play games. So this is the one chance we want to see you actually play a game. Record it. Uh, I do. Ha- just yesterday, I played it and I got a uh, pretty good score, and they took a picture of it. No, I want an actual I want, gameplay I video. Yeah, I, know. I want it from two different views. I want one of, of the screen and one of your reactions. <laughs> <laughs> That's boring. <laughs> All right, shall we take a commercial break? Yeah, yeah and we'll come up with Game On news after that? Yes. 
are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French Canadian. The music is back. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.co. And you're watching Coco Talk live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? We now return you to Coco Talk.
So welcome back, everyone. <clears throat> um, just before we get onto the game on news here, <clears throat> just want to point out a couple of people have joined us from the Glenside Computer Club. So I believe uh, Bob Swoger joined, if you want to say hello. Or maybe he's away from the desk at the moment. And I believe Richard Baird joined as well. Nope. Okay, all you're seeing me is a fireplace. Um, and I'm only unmuting so I can say, yes, I hear what's going on. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Are, are you taking part of the picnic today too, Richard? Or uh, Theoretically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm supplying the campfire, you see. Oh, I see. Ah. So we just have to bring out our marshmallows and hot dogs and start roasting. Yeah, well, we we'll be doing that, but s'mores. I, the sharing part is the difficult part. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fire is constrained to the fireplace, so that's good. Yes. <laughs> it's usually the dumpster for us. <laughs> yeah, that's the fire we're familiar with. Anyway, I just wanted, I noticed that you guys had logged in during the, the Game On uh, Game Challenge segment there, so I just wanted to acknowledge you guys were here. So, uh, oh, I've, got a, I've got an acquisition to show you guys. Look at that. See that? You acquired some food? Mm. Uh, yes. Hold it up a little yeah. higher. Yeah, a little higher. We can't see it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, I ate most of the fries. I don't have a headset, so I'm going to mute myself now. Okay. Thanks for stopping by to both of you. It's uh, pretty good to have quite a few of the Glenside members here on, on today So for the Glenside Virtual Picnic. And thanks for joining us. So on to the Game On news segment. So I will share my screen. I'll have to uh, wait till somebody else stops. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I'll try to remember to put sound on this time. Looks like I keep forgetting. Are you guys seeing that? Oh, yes. Okay, so as Simon had mentioned, uh, and I think he's had to leave already. Uh, if he's still on, he can chime in, but if not... Uh, he's uploaded several updated videos for this Boulder Dash type of looking game that he's been doing a game engine he's working on uh, with Paul Fiscarelli. So uh, this is the latest official post here, which I'll play. And then he's got some uh, updates that him and Paul have put into the chat. So I'll play one or two of those so you can get an idea of some of the changes that have been happening just in the span of a day or two. So this is where they added jumping and it's got the horizontal scrolling. And this is meant to run in a 128K Coco 3, I should mention. So not too long after they posted this, there's some comments on um, <clears throat> getting the jumping to look a bit more realistic, like where you arc and you slow down at the top of the jump and then speed up so they did a little demo of that and then there was some talking that it's it's not the quickest thing in the world and then that's when I think uh, Simon had hinted at that earlier when he was on is that they've actually got it artificially slowed down right now to leave them you know enough overhead for whatever else they want to add to the game so they actually have one that where they've unlocked it a bit here speed wise I believe is this the correct one might be this one here Now, are you guys seeing this? Because I know sometimes when I do this, it uh, screws up. Because Facebook and I'm not uh, seeing any black, black screen. Okay, yeah. So this is one of those places where it doesn't like me. <laughs> uh, let's 
see, maybe if I start playing it first. So you can see the smooth scrolling, it's, it's a tiny little thing in the corner, I apologize, but uh, you can see it's quite a bit faster when they unlock it. So it's artificially frame locked at about 10 frames per second on the on the big screen demo that you saw. So this was just to kind of show that, yeah, the engine's capable of going much faster, but they're kind of doing it with that slower frame rate to be able to add in sound effects and whatever logic they want in the game and anything else that's moving around. So that was to give like a bare minimum of what they want the final game engine to do for this particular game. So he's been giving uh, progress updates, I think probably four times this past week. So uh, we'll keep our, our monitoring his progress and him and Paul, and uh, hopefully we'll get them both on at some point here in the future show to kind of go over what exactly the game's going to end up being and some of the techniques they're using. Yeah, you should see it at 60 frames a second. It goes completely mad. Yeah, because I think that the one little video in the corner, that was 30, wasn't it? It's 30, yes. Yeah. 60 frames a second is completely mad. <laughs> you have to think this is a 512 pixel HV in scroll with a complex background with transparent sprite and scrolling and everything else. Yeah, and, and you're running in 128K, which is impressive too. The load footprint on that is 10K because it's tiled, right? And that's yeah. uncompressed. If I compressed it, the load footprint is 3K. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it, um, <clears throat> especially since you're actually targeting the 120K Cocoa 3, which is something um, we haven't really seen lately. Most of the newer Cocoa 3 games, whether it's from Nick or, or Chet or whoever, has, has been requiring 512K. And of course, now, you know, my Nitro's not easy to view stuff all requires 512K. So it's it's nice to see people targeting the, the, the entry level, which is probably one of the only types of Cocoa 3s you can find on eBay these days at a semi-affordable price because they've just been skyrocketing the last couple months, so... Exactly. I thought I'd just target the lowest possible denominator. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the initial rush of Cocoa 3 games back in 87, 88 were all 128K based. And then, you know, a couple years, four or five years later, they started bringing out some 512 ones as the upgrade became cheaper and more popular. But we haven't really seen that in lately. Everybody's been pushing the, the 512K. And there's even hints, you know, like Chet might do something that requires a you know, 2 meg upgrade or something. So. The, other th the, other th the other thing is that this is not double buffered at all. Yeah, you're just drawing it live on the screen while using the hardware. I'm drawing hard it live on the screen. Yeah. It's not double buffered at all, right? So you're scrolling 56K of screen, you're animating sprite and whatever, and I'm not double buffering, and it's all in 10K load. Yeah, so you're timing the drawing of the sprite like with the V-Sync and stuff so you don't get flicker and... Stuff right now, yes, and the routines are tuned out of this world. Okay, well, definitely, we'd like to get you and Paul both on at some point when you guys get to a like a milestone part of it where you really want to show it off, and then we'd love to get both of you on to, to kind of talk about it. Right now, I actually have wide movement as well. Um, I've not shown it yet because I need to restrain it because he will wander off the screen. Um, <laughs> And I, I, I sent you a demo earlier where if you jump and you jump on the edge of the screen, he'll wander off the screen. Mm -hmm. uh, because we have no restraint right now. Um, uh, but I've got him up and down and stuff like that. So right now I've got a tile screen going on. I just need to work out um, area map okay what does this do what does that do can you move there can you not move there stuff like that yeah 
Um, yeah, what, what, what tiles liquid? you're allowed to walk over, what tiles you're, you can't, etc. So Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Ron, you said something? Are you going to animate the liquid? Uh, we can do, but uh, it's not my first priority. Yeah. I'm definitely not. looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, like I said, if, if when you and Paul hit a, like a real milestone one, we'd like to have you on as a team to discuss it. Thank you. Thank you. But I, I, I just, it's like I, I, I kind of, people were egging me on to, okay, you're doing demos, you're doing demos, you're doing tech demos, stuff like that. When are you going to do a game? And it's like I was bored out of my head. The other day I was bored out of my head about two weeks ago. I was like, yeah okay let's just do a game <laughs> yeah I have to do that too because I've had a few people bugging me to write a basic 9 game just to kind of show what it can do too so oh, to... <laughs> so, so pressure okay. works let's grab some tiles these tiles so everyone knows are actually freeware tiles off the internet oh okay okay they're not drawn by me I had to correct them to Cocoa Palettes I had to do a tile engine I do scrolling everything else, so it's not as if everything's free. Okay, cool. But yeah, definitely keep us posted. I'll keep an eye out for it on on uh, Facebook. And uh, like I said, when you guys get to a milestone thing with something you really want to show off and kind of discuss how you guys did it or whatever, I'd love to have you both on. Anyone who thinks that's the only level there is is kidding themselves because there are multiple levels with different tile sets. Cool. Somebody yeah, else was saying. I'm oh, sorry. What's this website you got the tiles from, Simon? Uh, Twitch.io. Twitch.io? Twitch.io. Twitch. Twitch.io. Twitch.io, yes. There are multiple artists on Twitch.io that provide tile sets, sprites, everything else. Um, some of them ask money for them. Some of them say, okay, this is free for... Um, your own projects, this is free for your own projects and commercial. Please do credit us, um, you know. Um, you can you can provide a donation to the people on Twitch.io. You know, there are a lot of talented artists out there. Okay, cool. And then this this is a follow-up. This is a separate, separate post you did where you're actually showing how the mapping works. So each of those little horizontal lines you can see drawn through here each one of those rectangular blocks is an it's 8k one, memory block one is one MMU slot yeah but and this is showing your entire 256 byte wide you know virtual scrolling screen exactly but because the character can move from when he's jumping if he's in the bottom if you take like um, the second red line he's on the bottom so he's He's jumping up to the first. If you look at the um, first platform, right in the middle of the screen, jumping up to the blue diamond. So then he's at the top of that 8K slot. Yeah, so when he jumps, he's going to go to the bottom of the other 8K slot. Yeah. So you have to have 16K open just be able to because he jumps 16 pixels at a time yeah so you have to have at least two MMU blocks mapped in to be able to do any sort of there's graphics only two them. MMU blocks mapped in here and for the actual for the actual 
tile plot itself is only one MMU block mapped in. Okay. Because I plot it in columns. I got a question. Uh, are you going to have any kind of lettering on here anywhere? Yes, there's going to be an overlay um, at the top or the bottom. I just need to work out where it is. There's going to be an overlaid score and overlaid. Okay, you've got this, that, and the other. You've got your potions and stuff like that. It's going to be overlaid on top of it. Okay, cool. Anyway, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. So uh, keep keep us posted. So, but yes, I am a demo guy. So this is new territory for me. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm not a low-level utility operating system guy. So when I, whenever I do get to mine, no promises, uh, I'll be going through the same experience trying to write a game for the first time in 30 years. Because, uh, but but the demo stuff, the demo stuff, you can use all these, all these uh, tips and tricks. Yeah, all the techniques gained, and stuff. Yeah. You know, all this stuff you've gained in your head. I got a quick question. Yeah. I, I, I was looking at this, and, and you said that this is—you're not doing double buffering. No, not at all. How much are you able to render before you start getting flickering? Um, well, I'll tell you what. Um, I actually—I put the sprite instead of the sprite where he is right now on the video. Yeah, he was mm -hmm. on like the third scan, uh, the third tile line. Uh, one, no, fourth tile line. Um, and he was fine. So, if I took him up to the very first tile line, like the top of the image, mm -hmm. he would start flickering a little bit. Um, but then I actually grabbed hold of later later today. I grabbed hold of the um, the backup restore routine for the sprite itself, and I twiddled it a bit, and I, I gained some. 10, 20 cycles on each of those routines, which is stack blasting the fucker. Yeah, sorry to swear. <laughs> They're stack blasting him back and forward with the back ramp um, and no flicker. How many you know, sprites not, can you? How many sprites can you get at the top of the screen before you start seeing flicker? I don't know right now. I don't know right now because I we've not done the experiments. But again. It's a question of okay, which frame are you on? Because we are right now, we are rendering like at ten frames a second. Right. So, okay, one frame you do this, one frame you do that, one frame you do that. Yeah. So you're oh, so you're going to do staggered animations or staggered updates? I think that would be the best best move. You know, the way this works, I think it would be the best move. Okay. Well, we'll definitely be following the project, that's for sure. There's, there's so much game development going on right now. I mean, Nick's got one, which is actually the next story. We're going to have an update. Um, you've got yours, and I mean, you know, both Chet and uh, several Pauls have been working on various games over the last few months. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, so it's, it's really cool. It's probably the most energetic the game writing community in the Coco's been in a decade, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but it, I, I just I just thought I should move away from from demo stuff right now because people have been like goading me to to do something else. So I thought, okay, let's just do something else just for the fun of it, you know? Yeah, because plus it's, it's a new experience too. 
It's a learning experience for me. Yeah. Like in my case, when I do get to my basic nine game, and I have no idea what that's even going to be yet. Um, I mean, I did write some basic games with you know maybe an ML subroutine back in the mid '80s, but I haven't really done anything since. So I'm I'm very very rusty. I might have to ask Nick Nick to help me on that. <laughs> Just for the game design part. <laughs> and speaking of Nick. Um, this is an updated video that Nick did for the International Computer Club uh, last week, which uh, kind of shows a bit of progress from the last videos that we've shown on here. So I thought I'd play it. It's about five minutes. Nick, do you think there's any part I should just skip to or play um, all of it? No, no, it's <laughs> just skip to the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's all right. Yeah, just play what you want. <laughs> so then, I mean, you you kind of talk through it and some of this background stuff we already know. Yeah, so it's a little bit of. Bit of a blurb there, but you can just show the game if you want. It's yeah, it's progressing. I've done a bit more since this video, of course. Yeah, but uh, yeah, generally it's it's going fairly smoothly, and uh, it's getting close to completion. But uh, completion's only part of the problem. I've then got to do some artworks, promote it, and all that sort of stuff uh, before I can sell it. Plus game testing, like Chet was mentioning earlier. Game testing, quite yeah, a while there'll be a fair bit of... Yeah, exactly. It does take a fair while to do the game testing, as Chet knows. going to make um, room for that new Ferrari, too. Well, that's right. I need to order a bigger shoebox, but uh, it's all right. That's coming. So, But, uh, yeah, it's coming along good. It's just a matter of game testing and getting the timing of everything right and making sure that everything plays correctly to to give you the correct game experience. I love the background Yeah, it's it's more of a, a, a rhythm as opposed to a tune, but yeah, it can play a tune, but I just like this rhythm so no, much. No, this is this is uh, this is good. Well, this is kind of following along with Simon's doing. Like Simon and Paul are working on a game that they wanted to have the bare minimum Coco 3, 128K. And this is one where you went for 16K Coco 1 and I 2. I went for really bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only place you can wonder, this is 4K. So. 4K, exactly. 4K, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of them. Um, so, <laughs> 16K, TRS-80, Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. So And Dragon. 32 anyway. Well, I, I haven't tested that yet. I don't know. Like uh, uh, Simon said uh, a couple of uh, shows ago, that the sound may not work on a uh, Dragon 64. So I'm not making any promises yet. Yeah. The Dragon 32, though, from what I understand, should work. Well, 32, apparently, yeah, yeah. Which is the more common machine, from what I understand. Yeah. <laughs> if 60 is still in the chat, you can chime in whether that's true or not. I'm kind of guessing, but I think the 32 yeah. is much more popular. I'll get a bit further and then I'll send it to someone with the Dragon 32 and 64 and we'll see if that... And I don't think... Has anybody in Talk seen the game over screen? Because you got, got kind of animated scrolling? Yeah, a little bit of a uh, colourful game over screen. Yeah, to really <laughs> rub it in. It's kind of like Chet with his wisecracks in Digger 3. <laughs> Nick, Nick, that looks really, really, really stunking, mate. <laughs> it's. I forgot to clap. Got to clap it, 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 it is pretty good when you consider it's running on an old machine, the absolute oldest. So that was my goal. I wanted to make. 
as everyone knows, I'm a big critic of the Coco 1 and 2. You know, I've always been the one who says, I hate the graphics and all that. So this is to prove myself wrong. Hey, look, I got a high score. <laughs> Nick, <laughs> Nick, tell me about that. Tell me about that, you know. Proving something, proving a point. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, yeah. And in this I'm case, trying, proving it to yourself, like you said. I'm, I'm trying to prove myself wrong. So <laughs> Looks great. Sixie has chimed in the chat. He said, that sounds right. The Dragon 64 switches off H-Sync interrupts during the PAL padding lines. No idea why is the Dragon 32 managed to generate them just fine. So it sounds like it will work on the Dragon 32, but not on the 64. Yeah, so... Weirdness. So at this stage, I'm not saying anything about the Dragon, you know. I'll do the game for a Coco, you know, 1, 2, and 3, and then I'll test it and see. And as you say, it should work on a Dragon 32, or a Dragon 32 that's been upgraded to a 64, apparently. But on a uh, genuine Dragon 64, it may not... The game will work. The game will work, the but the music the wouldn't. Music yeah. won't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, anyway, okay. live and learn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's another new game in development, just because we've already had a couple, plus one that was just released. And speaking of, um, this is just kind of tying with Chet. He mentioned that uh, it's up in the archive now, so you can actually download the Digger 3 uh, zip file and documentation, which is a very well presented. Uh, PDF with color in the whole bit. Um, and then he's also put it up onto itch.io and there he's got screenshots and he's got the uh, RGB version as well as the composite and TV display for the geriatric te televisions hmm. as well as the manual. So, you whippersnappers. <laughs> Get off my lawn. With your RGB. <laughs> yeah. Get out of my ass. <laughs> you have your composite version. Now. Leave me alone. Geriatric <laughs> person, you mean? I'm yeah, gonna right. shoot you, boy. Get out of my ass. <laughs> but anyway, it's 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 nice because I mean I know Rob Inman's been pushing itch.io because it's a cross-platform distribution system, and you can you have games that are free, you can have games that you charge money for, they take a cut, but it's a pretty small cut from what I understand. Mm -hmm. So it's a good distribution platform if you don't want to have you know do like Nick Morantes doesn't take the time to set up your own thing. Of course, he'll make more money. That's why he's got Ferraris, but. I'm just a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas me, if I ever do get mine done, I'm lazy, so it'll go on here for sure. So You're lazy. <laughs> and speaking of yet another new game that's in development, and, and Paul there's got, you know, irons in the fire for at least three that I know of, but he had an update on Cocobon, or Ban, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, um, this weekend here, so... He said, things are progressing slowly, but progressing on the new game of developing. Pushing the gems works great. Did some optimizations today. The keyboard input genes, which make it even faster. The boulder is chasing you, but improvements are needed in the chase code. And then uh, he's my favorite part of his little post here is that shooting for the end of the year to get this released. The problem is life gets in the way. House improvements, teenagers, automobile maintenance, teenagers. Did I mention teenagers? <laughs> which I'm sure some of the people on the panel have had some experience with that. It's, uh, it gets a bit distracting. <laughs> So that's one of, I'm trying to remember what he's got his um, scrolling fighter game going on too. Plus he's got Downland 2. And he might even have another one or two, I can't remember. Uh, oh, next up is the... Game. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> next one up is uh, Jim Gary has yet another Luna Under game. We just covered one last week, which was ported from Creative Computing, which was kind of the, you know, the instrument panel version of Lunar Lander. This one's actually based on the one on the Bally Astrocade 
which is an early you know, game system from around the Atari VCS era. So I'll play a little bit of that here. And that sound he gets in the MC10 is just amazing. Oh it yeah. Is. Yeah, nice. The MC10 sound card, finally. <laughs> Jim to uh, port that uh, uh, MIDI cart over to the MC-10. <laughs> no, that's a one-bit deck. Yeah, it's <laughs> just a one-bitter one in the old uh, 68 through controlling it, so. It does have a timer interrupted, which is one nice thing. You can do some fancier stuff that way, but. So yeah, that's his, his, his new contribution for the week here. He had a slow week. He only put out one. <laughs> Uh, next up, I won't play this because it was actually getting played during the Digger 3 uh, Game On segment here, but uh, uh, Ken had, uh, of Canadian Retro Things actually had the smart idea of kind of linking you know, the regulars on Coco Talk and then the regular Coco community. Of course, with Septandi going on, we're getting a lot of people that aren't normally in our community producing videos, which is generating a lot of interest. Like we were mentioning the LGR uh, video, which will come up in the regular news here, has actually got over 130,000, 40,000 views already in the span of like days, which we never get. So that, that exposure helps. And what uh, Ken did here is he actually linked to the hashtag Septandi. So his is actually showing up in searches for Septandi. And I think we should do that with some of our stuff too, just for this month in particular, to try to drag in some of the people that have been watching these videos are not familiar with the Coco. You know, come and see the stuff that, you know, the regular quote unquote Coco community is doing. So I, I think that was a good idea. And I think we should start doing it with some of ours too. So Nick and, and others that are here that have actually produced videos on YouTube uh, this month with coca related subjects uh, put the septandi tag in there so that it shows up in the searches up until the end of the month and maybe we can pull in some of these 140,000 views yeah you just see it on the tags here so next up we have uh, Noriko who's done a lot of adventure games in the coca with playthroughs in this case here she does the full you know zork start to finish um, on the Coco version Welcome of it. Welcome to our Let's Play of Zork 1 on the TRS-80 Is that too loud compared to my voice? Or? Coco? I mean, oh, I just did a playthrough okay. on the Model 1. She goes a bit of a history of, of the Coco briefly I? for people who hadn't seen well, that, but she also goes through the history honest, of Zork like and what was based on the original the game and how the engine came about. Rough. So you, The first couple minutes is actually a history of the Zork development, which is actually quite interesting in and of its own. And then she actually plays the entire game on the Coco version for those of you who haven't seen it. I want to show you that this parser has more to it than just the ability to do one thing at a time. So and she goes into some details too where like that that particular parser, like most adventure game parsers of the time period, like the Scott Adams adventure, you do like open door and then you know, um, or in this case open mailbox, get leaflet, if you know that the game has a leaflet in there. There's the Infocom engine actually lets you do open mailbox and get leaflet as one command line. It would actually stack the commands and then execute them in order. And there was a certain limit, I can't remember, but it was like three or four commands in a row you can do in one big sentence which for that time was actually quite unique. Uh, but yeah, she does a very good little history of the whole the whole thing and then actually plays the whole game start to finish. So if you've never solved Zork, here's your chance to see how on a Coco. Next step, uh, this is from a couple of people. Um, and we've seen Brett kind of demo, he was on last week to talk about this new multiplayer online game he's doing for the Coco 3. And he's got Jay Cyril is actually helping him with some of this stuff. So they've actually done their first development blog, and it's about it's it's not the 42 minutes claimed here because the last 10, 15 minutes is just blank black. I think it just didn't get trimmed right. But they kind of go through some of the development and what they're doing on it. 
Um, so let's see, fast forward here. A lot, a lot of the background, you know, how they're setting up the networking, uh, how they're setting it up using DriveWire, et cetera. Um, how the loader works to set the server up for the actual game itself. And then they actually demonstrate a bit of the game here. So I'll just play a couple seconds of that. So this is where we'll have uh, general messages from the server to uh, game interaction message. Pretty much any messaging from the game is going to end up coming down here eventually. It's uh, not there now, but that's the, the idea behind it. Um, essentially the Coco will send some information to the server, the server will assemble a message and then send it back to the Coco to get print it, unless it's a message that the Coco can print directly and then we'll, we'll do it that way. So they get really into the nitty gritty, you know, showing it, he shows them um, the status screens they're starting to design now too. So this is actually more advanced than the video we saw last week. But it sounds like they're gonna be doing these regular developer blogs. So if you wanna see how the progress in this game is going, how they're doing things because they do an explanation of it and some of the utilities and tools are using how to set up the server how to set up the coco how the coco downloads the program itself from the server and then sends the tile maps and everything else for it too and then they'll be getting into how the whole multiplayer aspect of it works so it's very interesting and I'm, I'm glad they're doing these blogs here because i mean multiplayer online has only been done a few times with modems you know way back in the past we had p51 and checkers and chess and that kind of stuff you know more turn-based stuff except for p51 and this one actually uh, is going beyond Brett's uh, thermonuclear war, which was a multiplayer sneaking into IRC chats to send commands. This is actually a full-blown TCP IP style client that's actually running through DriveWire and maybe eventually even through the Cocoa itself, if, you know, we'll get some of the faster serial ports running properly with TCP IP. So definitely a, a project to keep up. Another new game that's being worked on for the Cocoa 3. So. And the final one after the game one here, this just showed up this morning. So Roger Taylor, who's doing the Coco 3 core for the Mister, um, is demonstrating Digger 3 running the Mister. Now, I did notice he has a bit of a glitch, and a couple of us have mentioned this to Roger. I don't know if he's responded to it yet. Um, but it actually is doing the loading text screen of all things wrong. The scrolling and stuff works fine on the graphics screen, but for some reason it's doing some weird duplication on the, the text screen when he fires it up here. Um, but the game itself seems to play just fine. And he does just as badly as the rest of us did for the first time playing Digger 3, so. But here you can see it's kind of like doubling up the text. I'm not sure exactly why that was happening. Wow. So he's got a bit of a glitch there he's got to fix. Uh -huh. But the game itself seems to run fine. Now, I think we've probably seen enough Digger 3 for today, so I won't play the whole video or anything, but uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's good to know that it's actually running on some of the hardware FPGA-based things, too. So, yeah, And for those of you who have got the uh, the Coco 3 engine on the Mister that Roger actually sells, I know Frodo and a few others in the chat here have actually got that, too, and they seem to be pretty happy with it. And since that one actually will let you emulate at a hardware level a lot of systems, if you have you know, limited desk space or you live in a small apartment or something, it's a good solution to get because then you can do a whole bunch of retro things all at the same time. You just switch which one you want to use that particular day type thing. And it's it's more of a hardware emulation unlike MAME, which is software emulation. So it, it tends to be a little bit more accurate once the, the cores are fixed up because uh, the timing and stuff is more explicitly tied to the hardware origination or original of the Coco versus trying to do it in software. And that is it for the Game On News segment. We do have some regular okay. news coming up. All right, let's uh, take a commercial break, and we'll go into the news. Oh, yeah. And I need to push these buttons.
Don't push them too hard. We'll return after these announcements. What's going on, everybody? The Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your candy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Joe sent you. Coco forever, people. Hey there, it's Andrew here with the Tandy speech and sound cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So, uh, next. Coco to be standable, so easily Coco 2, the color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco to do what you want to do. Just use and Coco 2. A boomerang memory board. Boys on Tech.com production. They came for us in broad daylight. Hungry. Wanting. One member, they said. More power. Proper design. At an affordable price. We took shelter. They were unstoppable. They're coming back for more. In 2019, what goes around comes around. Boomerang, 512 Classic, $15, 2 megabytes for $49. Available now. Boomerang Mania is real. Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as The Stevie Throw Devil, and the SD pack, and you are watching Coco Talk in three, two, go. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis And now a Muppet News Flash. Welcome right. back, everyone. Screen is yours. Okie dokie. I just gotta find the right one. <laughs> <laughs> I got too many windows open. Yeah. Oh, uh, is that the one I want? Yeah, the whole commercial to get ready. <laughs> Always the last. That wouldn't be Coco talk if I wasn't totally unprepared. Come on. Fail. <laughs> I forget which one this is here. I got, I got two Safari windows open. Which one is it? We'll guess and say this one, maybe. <laughs> so what are you guys seeing there? Uh, the new Facebook. Some TVs need pin 10 in the VJ connected to sense the signal. And he had a VGA switcher in his drawer of stuff, so he connected it with the switcher, and then the switcher of the TV selected the appropriate port, and then it started working. So he, he put this up as a, as a tip if anybody else is trying to use a Samsung TV with the Coco VGA. 
and it's not displaying anything at all, that this might be the simple solution to solve it. So I don't know if that applies to anybody here, anybody listening, but uh, if you if you do have a Samsung TV and you are having problems, we can have Koku VGA up to it. I don't know if this will happen with the Gimme X, which also has a VGA support. So this might be a tip for them as well in the future when the Koku, or Gimme X is released. But uh, there's a tip there to get that working. So thanks, uh, Rutherford, for sharing that. Next up, Ed Snyder is, uh, I haven't checked to see if it's sold out by now because this was posted five days ago, but uh, he'd come up with a, another run of the Coco 2 NTSC-based uh, composite video boards. He'd made an, another batch of them here. Now, from my understanding, these don't fit on a PAL machine. I don't know if anybody can verify that or not. And there's two types depending on what type of a Coco 2 you have because there's you know, the ones that have the, the RF can vertically up inside on the circuit board and other ones have it horizontally. Um, so he's got versions that'll work on both. Made versus Coco, uh, Korean made. So. Yeah. So um, anyway, for those of you who've been waiting to get that, because that's been kind of, you know, out of stock for, I think, a couple months, actually, at this point, because, you know, it's got so many products and he has to keep catching up on orders on. So uh, if, get them while they're hot if you need one type thing. And now we have the start of this week's um, Septandi, of which there's been a ton of releases of Cocoa stuff, and all from people that have never had Cocos before. So sometimes their information is very accurate, sometimes it's not. Um, I, the few times that I've been uh, responding to some of them, I've tried to give them corrections or things to try, you know, sometimes that they've got things pretty well done. So the first one here is uh, a person named Rebel Foxy, and I believe he's in the UK, if I remember correctly. Uh, presents his Coco 264K. Now, he had a number of his facts wrong, but I've actually been contacting him through the YouTube comments, and he's actually planning on doing another video now that he knows some of the stuff, because he's he's young. He wasn't around for the original Coco 2 stuff at all, and it's uh, it's all new to him, and he just decided to take part in Septandi because he actually has a Coco 264K. So I won't play them here because we've got a ton of these videos to go through, but the links will be posted here in the uh, chat so that you guys can do it, and also eventually on the show notes here too. And some of these videos get fairly long too. So, I mean, there's there's literally hours of content to watch. And, uh, you know, the show's already been going on for a couple of hours, so I don't want to you know, extend this out and try to go for a record or anything. But uh, definitely a lot of interesting stuff. So anyway, that's his first experience with the Coco 264K that he has. The next one here, this was kind of interesting because another one of the Septandi ones is from Aaron Newcomb. Now, any of you who watch Twit, Aaron's been a guest on and a regular on a semi-regular on the Android show, all about Android on This Week in Google. He occasionally stars on our guest stars on This Week in Tech, Floss Weekly, which is open source software. He's he's been one of the main hosts on there at times. And uh, he started with a Coco back in the day too, which I actually I discovered on Twit talking to him through the Twit chat. And uh, the reason I noticed that is because he came on on one of the shows a couple of years back and he was wearing a Dungeons of Daggerath shirt. Now, unless you're a Coco owner, you won't have a clue what the hell that is. Or if you've read you know, Ready, Ready Player One, not seen the movie. So uh, this was just kind of just to show you what he looks like and then kind of, you know, some of the shows he's been involved with on some of the biggest podcasts in the tech realm. But he actually did a breakdown of his Coco one. And uh, actually fixes it up. He tried was hey, trying to do some welcome to the retro uh, hack shack. composite video mod. Been. He actually went back and to RF because in his case the RF looks better on his old today, CRTV than the composite. As you might mods be able did. to tell from my T-shirt, we're going to be talking about the TRS-80 color computer. If you're familiar with these machines, you'll recognize the green screen. And behind me is a color computer one. Is that anyway, like I said, it won't go play. Pardon me. On his chest, the cursor's flashing. 
And that was my very own first yeah, computer that I ever used. Oh, and wow. it's also where oh, I learned okay. basics and learned uh, a lot <laughs> of And he has those shirts available for orders. If you like that and you want a Neat. flashing cursor there with the <laughs> multicolor LED, go ahead and order you one. Just yeah. go Shut cursor. up and take my money. <laughs> <laughs> He's also got his dagger out shirts and stuff on sale too. Like if you scroll down, you can actually get the uh, the order links and stuff for it. But uh, cool. No, I'm buying the disco cursor. <laughs> so he goes through his, his his Coca One here, and then you know kind of explains the motherboard and what the chips are. He's pretty accurate on this stuff too. So I mean, he does know the stuff. Um, then he goes and tries to fix the keyboard up because he had a couple issues with there. He goes kind of goes through some of the. In magazines where he got the composite video board and then the un end result though is that basically the composite board for him did not make the screen look better it actually was slightly worse than the RF so he went back to the RF but uh, he's planning on doing some follow ups too he's also got a Coco 3 so I've been trying to contact him a little bit I've talked a little bit with him back and forth in the YouTube chat but uh, since he's one of the bigger more well known tech podcasters <clears throat> I really want to see if we can get him on the show so I'm, I keep pestering him about that What the heck? Well, that just closed on me. Let me grab that again. So, Canadian Retro Things, Ken, did a video here on the MC10 where he actually is using a CD player to load uh, programs with. These Septandi videos. Then I thought to myself, wait a second, I like Tandy stuff. As a matter of fact, the next few videos I have planned are Tandy videos, as well as the last few that I've done. So I guess uh, this is my Septandy video, so welcome to my Septandy video. And actually he's done a coup because he included Digger 3 with it too, but basically <clears throat> he's been loading all the stuff off cassette or you know off an iPad you know, with the audio output. And he decided to try using a CD, burning a CD. And he burned him at 22 kilohertz and at 44 kilohertz to see if it made much of a difference as far as reliability reading. And then he just, you know, yanked out an old ghetto blaster with a CD player and put it on. And then it actually, it turned out, it worked on both frequencies. You can do it as 22 or 44. Um, it, because it's digital, it seems to keep the volume a lot more consistent than a cassette does. So we actually, you know, had no problems loading stuff and he loaded several games up and you're on a CD. And it's just the same, you know, clode and headphone jack and away you go type thing. So. Hmm. Yeah, I'd actually like to make a comment on that video. Um, a lot of people don't realize the uh, CDs. Um, the Red Book requires the audio to be at 44 kilohertz stereo, 16-bit signed. So even his 22 kilohertz got upscaled when it got written to the CD. So oh, okay. It didn't make any difference in the end. It was still 44 kilohertz. Yeah, but I mean, he only had the quality of a 22 kilohertz to create that, and that still worked. So obviously, it's not super fussy. Because upscaling, it wouldn't be quite as accurate as a, a raw 40, 44. Oh, yeah, this one is from um, Newsmaker Tech. Which I gotta find here. So we've actually covered this channel before. They did a, a unboxing of all three Cocos that did received. And now he's kind of going through in order. So he did a, a Coco 1 video, and then he also did a Coco 3 video, I think, a little bit later on. Um, yes, yes, we've heard your request. 
We get asked to cover many computers our fans are nostalgic for, but the Tandy TRS-80 color computer is by far the most requested system we've ever had. And there's no better time to cover it than during Septandy, the month us computer geeks spend celebrating everyone's favorite computer and leather company, Tandy. Now, I, I won't play the whole video. Like I said, there's a lot of videos to cover here, but um, the accuracy of the information he gave here is actually quite good. He actually goes back to Project Green Thumb and a lot of other things that a lot of people don't know. <clears throat> so I don't know if he's got a copy of the Boise and, and Bill book that he got some information or if he just properly did his research, but it's actually a pretty good, interesting uh, history of the Cocoa One going through like the, you know, the various board revisions and the melted keyboard version, et cetera. <clears throat> of course, he's got an, an original gray one here, uh, but they're actually planning on doing videos on the entire series. So he also has a video on the Cocoa Two uh, that they did later on too, which is probably the one I accidentally closed. Oh no, here it is, I think. I'll just fast forward a little it bit here. As as and they'll be doing a Cocoa 3 one that hasn't been released were yet. sometimes marketed as new improved models, but most of the time you'd have no idea, say, which specific motherboard revision you had. Smaller sizes, the biggest change with the Cocoa 2 was the major reduction in size, with the new system being about 30% smaller than the old. Anyway, he goes through that too. Now, one thing I will mention, he figures the aesthetics of the original Coco One he much prefers. He prefers the silver gray because everything went beige in the in late 80s. So it got him out of boring because every single PC looked the same. <clears throat> I wanted to ask people on the panel here, do you guys feel the same way? Did the, the beige standard color that everybody was using for like the Coco Two, the Coco Three, and then PCs and everything else was going beige. Do you have the same feelings he does where the the more retro silver look of the original TRS 80s and the original Coco is actually more aesthetically pleasing to the eye than all the beige stuff that came afterwards. I'm just wondering what, what the opinions of the panel is on that. Um, I think the Coco's more white. Coco 2 is more white than beige, though. Like, when well, I think of yeah, the beige well, white, box, whitish, I guess I should say. In the white direction from silver. Let's um, go the wrong direction. I like the hammered gray of the 50s. <laughs> well, for me, um, of course, I guess... You know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I prefer the darker colors because especially if you lived in a household where you had family members that smoked, darker colors hid oh. the tar building up on the machine <laughs> where an uh, eggshell-colored um, machine would really show off this, the tar building up on it. That's it's like not buying a white car. It's like buying a dark-colored car so you don't have to wash it as much. Well, interesting factoid. I have test equipment on my bench from the old days that is actually stained brown so that cigarette stains won't show on it. Under oh, you the, mean you restained it brown on purpose? No, no. It comes from the factory noticeably browned over already, even behind the lens, you know, the, the gauge covers and so forth, so that nicotine stains won't show on it. It was intentional. It's uh, <laughs> I, if you ever see a shot on my bench, you'll see a couple of old um, frequency counters and so forth that are brown, 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 and they started that way. They didn't age that way. They just, it's what they did. Oh, wow. <laughs> Silver's got that uh, classic TRS-80 color and and style to it, the retro, because it, it, it matches more the TRS-80 Model 1s and 3s and all that. 
the problem with the silver that I have is the fact that it doesn't stay silver for long. After a while, it wears out on the front, it scratches. So, as for longevity, I prefer the white. Or that's, the, a, that's a good point because rather, I mean the original Coco ones, depending on what age your plastic was, like if you got the first yeah. models, it was a black, which actually looked pretty darn good on its own, to be honest. Yeah, except it, it never wore black. Off but yeah. it was black in the front and silver everywhere else, and it looked wrong. So, but yeah, the old one's got that nostalgia look to it. And any Did other I, opinions from the panel? I, I'll sure. voice my opinion um, for what it's worth. I mean, I didn't have any of the TRSA model one, two, three, four. Didn't have any of that stuff. Didn't have a Coco one. Started out with a Coco two. So I prefer the beige-ish. Just. Uh, just looks better to me, but that's just because I didn't have the other ones, I guess. Well, in yeah, the case, the way, the case... I it with a Coco Two, and uh, it was beige, and I, that's what I prefer. I mean, you've got to admit the, the case color's indestructible. The keyboard's indestructible. You'll never lose the logos off the keys. The brake key's always going to be red. It, they just, you know, what it is is always what it is. I like that. Yeah, well, they clean up okay after forty years, right? I, Usually when people get still, them, they yeah. can, they and you can can't retrobite the silver one. <laughs> Matter of really. opinion, I mean that. I mean the the that chiclet keyboard was so awful. There was at least two different aftermarket ones available, even back in the day. So, but uh, I mean, I have a couple Coco ones. I have them. I powered them on. Yeah, they work, and they just kind of go off on a shelf because I I just have no interest in using it. That huge thing with uh, with uh, with those with that lousy keyboard. Although I do have one with an aftermarket keyboard, but it's something's happened over the years and it's a little unstable I do need to go in there and sure it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean some of the aftermarket keyboards like the HDL and the Mark Data products in particular for me, two that I've used here with other friends that had those they were actually better than the Coco 3 keyboard to be honest. So I mean I, I the keyboard for me wasn't an issue if you had a third party one added in one of the decent ones but uh, I believe yeah, the, bul I the bulk of the grey one, the size is more of what I prefer on the Coco 2. I like the silver look, and I like the black look if you have the older plastic and it's rubbing off, like if it was completely black, like Ron, Ron, Ron I think cheated and painted his, but um, the black actually looks pretty good too, but uh, yeah, I think, the, like the, like people were mentioning, like the fading of the paint on the silver meant it kind of looked like it was used and, you know, soiled or something. It didn't look right. Whereas these ones, I mean, they're yellow, but you can retrobite them and fix it up pretty easily, and then you've got a nice, clean, consistent case. And your keys are all the same type thing too. Whereas uh, the silver was a paint; it wore off, so that was it. Doesn't it doesn't last as long? It doesn't seem to. The venting's probably better on the Coco too, as well. There's a lot more venting. Yeah. Well, what do you guys? Because on the Coco the one, it was just along the sides, right? Little vents along the sides. Yeah, the, that's on the yeah. Yeah. Well, what do on. you think? What do you think of the white ones that are in the original Coco two size, but they're white? Uh, you know. Oh, yeah, the, not the, too bad. The yeah, to me, one. it looks wrong. Because, yeah, to me, it looks wrong because that shape is, to me, is synonymous with the old silver one. And I look at the white one, I think, oh, okay, this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, just I like that one because a friend of mine got the 64K Coco One, which is the full size Coco One case, but in, in the white color. Um, and it actually has a badge that says 64K color computer on it. And uh, it was the first experience of the melted keyboard, which I quite liked at the time. And he was, you know, playing Sailor Man or whatever else on it. But I, I kind of liked it. I couldn't afford it. Still do. It was great. I still like the melted. Go ahead, Chad. What I started with. 
Oh, mine, I, I loved mine. I mean, that, that was the, the first cocoa that I had. So, I mean, it, it was a fantastic machine. You, and you could bludgeon your siblings with it, too. So. <laughs> it might Just, be because I grew up on this, but the keyboard pictured right now, the full travel Cocoa 2 slash 3 keyboard, that's the best cheap computer keyboard I ever had. I, yeah, me, I agree. Or none. I agree. Yeah, because they're third-party ones. I mean, they were started like sixty-nine, seventy-nine bucks. So yeah, right. the whole computer was one hundred and fifty. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> we got a comment from Ken at Canadian Retro Things in the chat too. He says he prefers the Red Alice computers. So if you're in France and you get one of the Alices, and the, dra cool. the Dragon kind of was more of a yellowed plastic to begin with, wasn't it? Wasn't it stock more yellowishy? Yes. I know their keyboards were good, but. I do like the badge that you, on on the one that you're showing now. I do prefer that badge, that logo, the Radio Shack lettering, yeah. the red green. I prefer that over the the newer, the Tandy one with out. the slashed colors. The Tandy with yeah. the slash. I do prefer that classic. It had that classic look, and uh, to me, it just looks a bit better. But yeah. So, what do you think of the TDP? Uh, what does the Not TDP much. look like? A, <laughs> a Cocoa One. The, the TDP is basically a Cocoa One, but I think it, oh, it's yeah. a different color. It's it's more yeah. than along the beige line too. Yeah. yeah it's there not it too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's not bad. I'm gonna and, paint mine flat black. Be done with it. That's pretty well what Ron did, I think, with one of his, didn't he? Yeah, I was a Cocoa Two. I did it with. Yeah. Maybe stick some uh, LEDs under the the, gr the top grill there. You know, make it all fancy and stuff. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> like color LEDs in the Radio Shack logo. Yeah, man. I bet I bet I get like uh, like a good like half a megahertz out of that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to put it on the Gimme X. Yeah. Sixty uh, mentions too that he said the uh, the thirty two Dragon thirty two is more yellowy plastic, while the sixty four is more grayish plastic. So there was a color change yeah, between the two. There was a color change. That's a bit jaundice. <laughs> Actually, most of these uh, beige ones are a bit jaundice when you dig them out after four years. Brush your coat. Well, the last PAL one, uh, th they don't go yellow. They, they stay white because they've changed the type of plastic they used in making it, and they never yellow. Hmm. What what numbers are they? Uh, hang on, I'll have to lift mine up and see. <laughs> if I can with all the wires on the back, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Put your phone well, why, there. While you're looking there, Nick, I was going to mention my favorite badge is the one that says 2 mega RAM on it, one of the newer ones. That's what I like. Well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, let's see. 263334. I've got on this one. There you go. Now, is that is a PAL that... or an NTSC one you're looking at, Nick? It's a PAL one. And that's mm. not the that's not the PAL one with the NTSC motherboard in it, is it? Well, the, yeah, it is actually, but okay. I'm talking I'm talking about the case. <laughs> right. Your right. Coco so, may be a PAL, but mine's a buddy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like I mentioned, he's, he's, they've completed on on this channel. They've completed the Coco One look through in history, and they've done the Coco Two look through in history. And like I said, he's done his research. He's he's got a lot of facts that are not general knowledge. You'll notice some of the other ones are like, they have no knowledge of the Cocoa at all, so they're just guessing at stuff or you know, what they read on one particular web page or something like that. So he seems to be fairly thorough, and I'm looking forward to see what he says about the Cocoa 3 when that comes up. 
You know, the view of that cocoa in the box makes you excited. <laughs> it's like, I want to get that out of there. Yeah, it's like box opening day type thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's 1983, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, this is uh, AC's 8-bit zone, and he's done a couple of ones, and I've been in contact with him on a few things, too. So he's released a couple of videos this past week, and I think we covered one of his earlier ones, too. So he does some Kokotu repairs and composite video. Um, so we've got a few people doing the composite video upgrade, so I won't play that for in particular. Mm. And then he did kind of a challenge to himself, because <clears throat> he had a Coco 2 back in the day, and then, you know, between moving and stuff, he started to collect them about 20 years ago, but then they, he ended up moving, and he stored everything, and he hasn't taken it out till now. It's like, literally 20 years, his entire Coco collection has been boxed up, which is Coco 2s, 3s, 1s, peripheral software. We covered one of his earlier videos where he kind of went through that. So he decided as a challenge to himself, and to the viewers of his channel, he's going to take his five Coco 2s he's got. Now he's got three of the Radio Shack branded, two with melted keyboards, one with the full travel. And he's got two of the Tandy branded ones. And you can kind of see the difference color of the case there too. And he was kind of making a bet with himself, well, how many of these will actually work not being touched in 20 years? And uh, he also said, you know, the challenge to the viewer was, you know, make a guess before you start the video. And then at the end, you know, send him a message saying what was your guess, and then and, and what was the you know the actual final result, obviously at the end of the video here. So before I tell you guys what happened here, for those who've not seen this video, what do you think his track record was as far as getting all five of these running out of the box after twenty years, just plugging them all in? All five worked, hundred percent. Yeah, say four, maybe the three might not have worked uh, without receding the, the gimme. Slam okay. it on the table. <laughs> Yeah, that's now, right. I will mention one thing. I don't know if you guys saw it in the video here, but if you look at the left stack, the Radio Shack branded ones, the very bottom ones already missing the, the space bar. It was pretty beat up on the case. I'll just mention that. Yeah. Still going to work. Yeah, okay. those pop off. I saw the video, so I can't play. They all work. <laughs> Every single one of those things work. Ron, you're disqualified. Yeah. Well, I, most of you are right. All five of them did boot up. Now, two of them powered up with gray screens. Now, he did end up uh, just doing some minor tweaks to get that to work. But the, the video signal was coming through, just the color signal wasn't coming through. Mm. Uh, but three of them came up in full color, too. So, the, yeah, they all work. The keyboard works, even on the one that's all banged and beat up. So, he was he was quite impressed. And I think a lot of us know that, you know, and this is something he said, you know, on the, on the comedy world, that doesn't happen as often. Like, they do tend to die a bit more often. But Cocos were built like tanks. Uh, well, they were yeah. meant to be beaten in the education market by kids, so they built them to last. Well, C64 well, is like cheap and disposable. Yeah. Well, Curtis, one of the things that I found out from even having my Commodores, <laughs> the uh, MOS chips, even when they're not used, decay. So oh, yeah. they, uh, you know, you put them in storage 20 years later, if it worked, it may not, like what happened with mine, where the PLA and the ROMs were just dead. Yeah, and I've never had that problem. Like the only time I've had a Coco one or two or three fail is due to you know my Coco one, for example, it got died when I moved from the apartment to the house back in whatever year that was ninety two or whatever it was. But that was because on the moving truck the Coco fell like six feet and then hit you know a metal floor and it actually cracked the circuit board. So obviously there's you know, not yeah. much can be done after that, but. Yeah, so, of, of the 20-some that I've had, I've never had one fail. The only one I had fail was a Coco 3, and one of the blue uh, colors went away. And it turns out it was a uh, transistor, which, you know, right. got 
tricks too easily. Yeah. I've so had like cables that? break, like the RGB cables got you know, pinched and it snapped a wire inside. So something like that I've had happen. But yeah, they're they're tanks. I mean, uh, and compared to a lot of the other eight bit machines at the time, um, I think the Cocos actually do last longer than most of them. Yeah. Well, you know, Motorola used to be a quality thing, and it shows. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even Radio Shack themselves. I mean, the cases, the keyboards, etc. I mean, uh, a lot of that stuff actually does keep working. What else can you tell us, uh, David Land, about uh, MOS technology going away? How, how does that happen? Because Jack Tramiel was real cheap. Cut yep. corners wherever he could. <laughs> oh, he's very Seriously. cheap. Well, Seriously. Well, MOS that's was why the, the cost basic cut. on the C6. Yeah. I mean, the 6502 was a cost cutter of the 6800, so, you know, yep. where did they cut it? Yep. Do we well, have you that also got to think of any contaminants that might have gotten into the dyes during manufacturing. Um, you know, actually, Jim Brain would probably be a better person to answer that question since he's on the tech side um, and he works with those machines all the time. So, but yeah, it's 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 is it, is it like uh, EPROMs where um, you keep uh, you know clearing them and write to them and clear them and then they eventually wear out or well even an EEPROM um, over time will lose its information because I've had some EEPROMs that have slowly corrupted over over time um, same with floppy disks you know the earth is one of big course. one big magnet so with the electromagnetic shield around us so you know the the flux data slowly gets gets wiped out over time. So, <laughs> reaches okay. equilibrium. Well, um, I've got a, a Disto controller with four um, ROMs in there, and they're all EPROMs. You know, they were burned. And um, should I expect those to go soon? Or, I mean, yeah. I've had it since '83 or '4. Um, well, if you're worried yeah. about it, I would probably time. keep a copy of those ROMs, so that way someone could re-burn you one if you need it later. But right. hmm. this is the days of copy everything. Put it on an SD card somewhere. You yeah. can always get it back. Now, one thing I wanted to show here, just a brief uh, screenshot of this particular part of the clip, that one that had the banged-up keyboard, the one missing the space bar, right. like when he ordered this... <coughs> It was actually meant as a parts cocoa, and it was actually just shipped in a USPS priority mail box. There was no packing or stuffing or anything. Because with the missing key and everything else, the guy thought it just doesn't work. Nope, and he thought uh, ahead. Yeah, so he he got this for ten bucks. Which, if you look at current cocoa two prices, Dang. especially cocoa three prices, that's dirt cheap for a working one. I mean, it's missing a space bar, but that's that's the only thing wrong with it. It powered up just fine. Shipping's more than that. Yeah, you can find somebody to print you a space bar. Yeah. yeah. Well, the one thing that you think about is that if that's all that's wrong with it, as far as the keyboard, you could stick Ed Snyder's um, keyboard in the Coco 2 or stick Ed Snyder's keyboard in a Coco 3 and take the Coco 3's keyboard and stick it in the Coco yep. 2. That's what I did. So. I moved my Coco 3 keyboard to my Coco 1 because my Coco 1 chiclet it actually had some, you know, the traces are gone on that Mylar crap. And I didn't feel like we're trying to repaint them or reconnect them. So I just, you know, since I was planning on ordering an Ed Snyder keyboard anyway, 
I just ordered that and I swapped my Cocoa 3 keyboard into my Cocoa 1 and it's back up and running fine. You should, I mean, uh, just shipping this, you hear horror stories all the time. Somebody, you know, shipped like a Model 2 or something like that, didn't pack no. it properly, and then you get the shattered mess, you know, when you yep. receive it. And this guy, you know, got one that was damaged to begin with, just threw it in a box, shipped it off, and it still worked. So, I mean, the, the Cocoa's tough. <laughs> Curtis, you should take a picture of your uh, Cocoa 1 with that keyboard in it. It's sitting right beside me, actually. One. That's my one with my Cocoa VGA in it. See what it looks like. Marigus. <laughs> Lasagna. Oh, asparagus. Is that one of the things they're serving on the picnic? Is that what you mean, Jason? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> and here the retro channel. Uh, did their little uh, heavily modded. Now, we, we played one of his earlier videos, too. And he had two Cocoa Ones side by side. So he had one that was basically a stock Cocoa One. I think it was an F board. And then he had another one, which is a heavily modified. It's got an HDL57 keyboard. It's got an LED power light. It's got three switches that were underneath, tucked underneath in the side. So he decided to explore into here to see exactly what the heck was in this thing. So there you can see the LED on the right-hand side. You can see the HDL57 keyboard, which is still, I think, my favorite out of all the third market ones that came out back in the day. And then he kind of goes through. Now you can see the case has been a bit modified there to hack. <clears throat> and it's actually got an, a special adapter for the uh, RF, or, or not the RF, for the composite out uh, that, he, that comes out with the sound and the video line there. And originally the person had these mounted, as you can see where that hole's cut. Uh, they originally had it mounted there, and then for some reason they rejiggered it through the, the reset button instead and left the gaping hole. And then you can see on the left-hand side the three switches that are kind of under the edge there below the cartridge slot. And the guy that the guy that does this video here, I mean, he got this from somebody else with no details from the guy whatsoever what any of this stuff did. So we had to kind of go through and figure it out on his own. So he takes it apart. Was he able? Uh, for the most part, yeah. So here you can see the insides. Wow. Now, for you hardware types out here, can you guys recognize what some of this additional stuff would be doing? That there's, there's, there's the lowercase kit. Right. Lowercase mod. Now, is that the official Dennis Bathory kit screen micro one? That no I don't know, but I recognize the design because I have Ed's lowercase well, kit. It's got a 6847 and it's got a ROM on the same board, so it's kind of yeah. kind of obvious, yeah. Makes sense that it would be something that only the 6847 can access. And it probably also has a switch for inverse video as well, I'd say. Correct. Yeah. Um, that mod does, yes. So the, the switches he's got in there, one of them is the inverse video mod that we just mentioned. The other one is to switch between the internal ROM on the VDG and the external ROM, right. which has that expanded lowercase character set that's also taller and wider characters than the standard one. And it's taller and wider than the lowercase we have on the Coco 2B and on the Coco 3. So that's two of the switches. The other one, he can't quite figure out what, for sure what it is. And I, honestly, it's not one I've seen before, but it, I think it's to change the phase shift for artifact colors so it's controllable. Because when he flicks it, I, I don't know if you guys remember this on the original Coco 1 and 2, mm. but you could tell by the thickness of the characters when they showed up. Like if you had a thin one, it was a certain artifact. And if you have a thick black for your text characters, then it was the other artifact. And I used to use oh, yeah. that to pre-boot the machine hitting reset so I'd get the controllable colors. And when he flicks that switch, it seems to switch between those two. So basically this switch controls the phasing so you can guarantee your artifact colors like we can on the Coco 3. Cool. That Hard would be actually a cool mod. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, that's one I had not seen before. I've seen some other mods that are not on this video. Like I've seen a RAM write protect switch for upper 32K of RAM, and that was used to put cartridges that self-modified, like some of Steve's and a few others, that if you didn't want to feel like having to go through and disassemble and figure out the whole thing and patch it to work, you would just load it in, hit the switch so it can't write to itself, exec the program, and then it would just run just hunky dory fine. So that was one I remember seeing. That was such a day. nice cheat, too. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Saved a hell of a lot of time. I remember I, I spent days trying to fix Reactoid Volvo games because it was self-modifying like crazy, and finally I just gave up and then got the Switch installed. Well, I don't have to do this anymore. Uh, do you guys remember 128K the easy way? Yeah. I yes. had that uh, installed in my uh, Model 1, you know, and uh, I had a uh, program to store 32K banks you know, programs and just don't turn it off. <laughs> I, built, I built the uh, circuit board without the RAM and, and never had the money for the RAM. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's that thing on the left? Did the he one have taped a, up? That's the video yeah. outputs on the lower Yeah, that's left. the composite and uh, audio jacks coming out. Ah, so he's also got yeah, video, uh, composite, composite video out as well there. as the three switches you can see in the upper left there, and the LED you can see in the very far upper left. It's a it's a pretty good hacker's machine. I mean, this this is one thing I remember a ton of the Cocoa people in our local club, which at the time had you know like 80, 90 members. I'd say at least a third of them had hack jobs like this in all of their Cocos. Yep. So the Cocoa always was a hobbyist hardware hacker's dream. Um, and I did not see this. Like I did attend a few meetings from friends that you know had TIs and 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 commenters, and I didn't see the prevalence of this type of thing on any other platform but the Coco for some reason. And I think we've talked about that before. The Coco did definitely seem to be a hardware hacker's dream. I don't know if that's because it came from Radio Shack and you always went to Radio Shack for parts, so that was kind of the mentality you had to go there in the first place, or if it was just an easier machine to hack on. Well, you guys you that are hardware had, can tell uh, me that. Yeah, you also had the regular column in uh, Coco magazines for uh, turn of the screw and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, as opposed to TI where you couldn't even write programs on your own computer unless you bought a development system. Forget yeah. hardware. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I've, seen, I've seen some Commodore 64s that have a few mods, you know, from back in the day, but I don't think it was as prevalent. Well, and again, was it? Was it easier to hack a Coco compared to some of the other machines? For the for those of you that experience doing hardware on both or are multiple systems, is it easier to do on a Coco? Like we're. Yeah, I'll come back to that. The Coco was very heavily the Motorola design spec machine, and you could just beat the living out of it. Where a lot of <laughs> like the C sixty four was pretty much already beat the living out of, and yeah, you yeah. couldn't really do much to it without breaking it. Is, in well, my the, experience, the um, you you were asking about the Moss chips or whatever. It's like yeah. the sixty five oh two was great, and if you go over to the Western Design sixty five co two, it's great. But the PLA and these other chips that the, they designed, um, if you look, listen to some of the vi YouTube videos, um, Bill Hurd talks about working on new machines and having Commodore employees steal chips out of the machine he's working on to fix their own machines around Commodore. And he <laughs> and, and he had to order 
ships uh, from Moss, which I, I guess was in the same building, and, and he, so he had a, a couple, you know, tubes of these chips that were flaky in the first generation and on uh, on his desk so people wouldn't steal stuff out of his computer he was working on. Hmm. <laughs> it, it's just um, whoever laid it out, you know, didn't do as good a design. Okay. Anyway, I just thought it was really cool that he has this, you know, he has a, a fairly stock Cocoa One and then he has this complete, you know, homemade hacker's dream type thing with you know, all these different mods and lowercase kits and custom wiring and LEDs and everything else and that just, that reminded me of club days back here in the early 80s because that we had so many people doing this kind of stuff and uh, everybody was sharing their designs or helping install for us younger kids that you know didn't have any electronics experience because I was getting my you know stacked RAM upgrades because it was cheaper than buying 64k chips at the time and inverse video switches and stuff added to mine too which I had no idea how to do myself I mean, I'm the guy who solders his hair, for God's sake. <laughs> so it was nice having yeah. this this you know plethora of people that actually would be able to do these types of things and design these types of circuits. They didn't even need the magazines. They would just look at the circuit diagram and go, "Oh, I can do this," and you know, just do it type thing. And I think that was more prevalent in the in the Cocoa community than almost any other eight bit community, from what I remember seeing. I'm surprised at the number of uh, front reset switches and stuff like that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, it's, it's a very interesting idea. video, and, and uh, he's actually got Cocoa 3s and stuff, too, so there's more videos from him coming out as well, too, so we'll see what he's got for Cocoa 3 stuff later on. Well, if you check those. out this... Oh, good. Sorry, did I close it too fast? Oh, I was just going to say in the previous picture, the Cocoa actually built in a re recess for hidden toggle switches, which, uh, you know... Is yeah, key on the side there. The yeah, that's true. I actually never thought of that before, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely designed for hackers, then. Yeah, I have a Cocoa 2 that has switches there on that square area or rectangular area. Next up, I'm part of Step Tandy as well. Like I said, we got a ton of these. So this is the uh, one that's probably the most famous because this is LGR, which is a huge channel that has a viewership that rivals the 8-bit guy. Uh, he's got over a million you know, subscribers type thing. And as of you know, you know, when I loaded it this morning... Before the show started, there was already 136,000 views of a Coco video in the span of a few days, uh, like one, one and a half, basically. So that's uh, a good plug for the Coco in general. So he kind of goes through and uh, you know, kind of. It was all the about the color and... being the first from Canadian Recycling and, and sending it over, the by Canadian the way. Box there. I've always wanted French one of these and, the and have somehow never run across out. one here, at least not in person. They're not rare machines. And he hooks it up to a TV and he actually gets a pretty good on what you could use. Too. One might also choose to run Microware so OS 9 level 1, and while that offered some impressive flexibility and multi-user <laughs> stuff, that became more of a thing on later Cocos, so... Now, he has mentioned he is planning on doing a Cocoa 3 video as well, because he has one, but he's also planning on doing an OS 9 video separate, because he said there's enough interesting things there that he doesn't think mixing it with an existing video would give it enough detail. So, I'm, obviously, I'm looking forward to that, but um, I, I think we should definitely see if we can try to get him on the show, too. I mean, we've had the 8-bit guy ready, so we need some of these other people that do a lot of these retro-type stuff, uh, but have a large, large audience, and try to get you know them so they can kind of, you know, "Quote unquote," sell the Coco to the uh, the the wider retro audience. Like yeah, I mentioned there. Coco Talk in my uh, reply to the video. Okay, yeah, cool. Curtis. 
Yeah, Curtis, I met him last year at VCF Midwest, and he's he seems to be a very nice guy. Um, so so he'll never want to be on our show then, right? <laughs> well, 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 just don't let him talk to Stevie then. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a very good video, and there is some more stuff coming from him as well. Like I said, the Coco Three, he's playing a Duke OS Nine one. Now he hasn't given a. I don't know if the OS Nine one's going to be part of the Septandy thing. That might be a later. You know, out of Septandi <laughs> things over, but the Coco Three one is supposed to be out before the end of the Septandi, uh, so the end of September basically. So I'm looking forward to that one too. Next up is from a, a fellow Australian there of, of Nix, and we've had him. Hey guys, and on the welcome to too. Retrospect Reviews. I'm Vince, and today we're going to have a quick look at the Coco SDC by the Zipper Zone. And he keeps calling it Zipper Zone, though he spells it right. I thought that was funny. Um, and, and basically, he, he gave me a plug in the video, too, because he mentions that I was the one that suggested he should get a Coco SDC for his Coco 3 and his Coco 1. And uh, he mentioned me my name is suggesting, and he's quite quite happy with it. He goes through the SDC Explorer and a few other things, too. Um, now, currently, so no he's only got... Go ahead, sorry, that? So no lawsuit in your future. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> Um, so he goes through the, basically what the SEC is, how it works, you know, what it what it does, emulating you know floppy drives, etc. Uh, mentions the fact that it works on the Dragon as well. He ordered his with a case, which he shows off here as well. Um, now, one thing he did mention as he, he in the in the in the chat comments afterwards, when I've been talking back and forth with him, is he only got 128k, and uh, he's got eyesight issues now that he can't solder as well as he used to. Now, I'm not sure where in Australia he's located, but he would definitely be interested in getting a 512K upgrade or even a 2 meg at some point. Um, now, obviously, the 512 doesn't need any soldering, so that one he could do pretty well on his own. But if he wanted to jump to the 2 meg, um, how widespread is hardware hacker skills in Australia, Nick, that you know of? I don't know you, David O'Connor, and a few others can probably do it. But are they yeah, pretty well, widespread no matter what? Or? Um, yeah, I only know of David O'Connor or that... Um, Ian, maybe? Ian Ma Maverick, yeah. But, um, yeah, there may be more, but, yeah, I haven't heard of them. Okay. Because I'm going to try to see if I can... I have to find out where in Australia he is first, but if he's close by one of the other guys, if he orders a 2-meg board and he can get the help in getting it soldered in, I think he would quite like that. So, But it's, it's a nice review of the Coco SDC and the SDC Explorer, too, as well. So, And also part of the Septandi, of course. Yet another Septandi video, and this is from our friend in Spain, originally from Ireland, 8-Bits in the Basement. He's the one who came on our show with the Scart Coco, if you guys remember that, mm -hmm. in France. So here he goes and he explains on how to hook up a digital joystick using a board that he made uh, to the Coco. But he goes through a lot of good explanation and then very non... Well, he gets into some technical things, but he does it in a very... <laughs> easy to understand way like I understood it and I don't squat about hardware but he goes through the differences between analog and digital and then he explains the chip he used to actually get this to work and how the voltages work and then explains you know for people that are only familiar with digital sticks what's the difference <coughs> with analog how it does the various voltages etc so he does like hand drawn diagrams and he demonstrates some you know games and things that are actually done uh, you know, that highlight like he did Caterpillar Tech for example because it needs the analog stick because your position is based on the zero to 63 it's not just you know if it's less than 31 move left it's like position five is position five on the screen so he kind of explains you know how the games are different between them 
And here he's doing a you know a description of how the voltages, and he did a simplified version with only five steps instead of 64. You know how the voltages work between the tensiometers, and he kind of explains you know how that works. And he explains how digital sticks work. Um, does some you know actual setting up here, shows you how the joysticks actually get read on the Coco itself. And then he does his little homemade circuit here, where he's hooking up a DB9 to this little circuit he did, then off to the Coco type thing, and explains exactly how the voltage divider works and the chip number used, etc. So for a good beginner's hardware project for the people that do want to learn, you know, at a fairly entry level. This is a great project, and he does full explanations of what he did to do it here. So quite a, quite a good video. I, I quite enjoyed it. I'm not one that normally does much with hardware. Okay, so that's that's the September 10 the, uh, ones for this week, and there's more coming for the next couple of weeks too. So definitely keep an eye on that. Wow. This one here, go ahead. I just said, wow. That's a yeah. lot. There's a lot there's of explosions this year. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. This next one is quite interesting. Uh, John Evans. Now, this is kind of vaguely related with Stevie. Like, Stevie got the Exerciser system, which is a development system for Motorola-based um, CPUs. And he, that was a find. Um, I, Chet had a really good quote on how, how he reacted to it. I'm trying to remember what he said. It was perverted in some way. But, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish yeah, I could remember. Uh, yeah, for those of you who did read it, there is no translation there, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something about boner material, I believe. But anyway. Yep. Um, so this is kind of along the same lines, because this is another early development system that was done uh, through a university, um, the Cleveland Institute of Electronics. So they had their own MTL-1 microprocessor trainer, which was a set of hardware with the 6809. It had a little built-in small ROM, a 4K ROM with CIE bug, as it was called. Uh, 2K of RAM, which you could expand up to 4K. Woohoo. Um, plus the manual, which I'll show shortly here. And then it, it was not a full keyboard computer. It was like a hex keypad for entry and eight digit LED display. So it was really meant to learn the electronic side of things and a little bit of the programming side of things as well. It did have an expansion port, so you could add like an extra keyboard or a video, et cetera. So we actually uploaded like the, the manual. Uh, Kim one for the 6502. Yeah, similar, yeah. similar. Yeah. So we actually uploaded the manual for this with his new awesome line printer fonts we had back in the day. There you can see it's the Cleveland Institute of Electronics. Skip the page. I don't even know if that if that technology institute's still around or not. Um, but it goes through like some of the monitor commands. So how do you do that type of thing? And then goes into all the other you know aspects of the hardware and the software. Runs at the same speed as the Coca One did at 0.895 kilohertz. Of course, the FCC thing goes into a bit of how to actually work the monitor itself. But it's actually, it's, it's, it's one of those historical development systems for learning 6809, learning 6809 system design yeah. from the hardware level too. So in the span of a week, we've had the exerciser that Stevie's got plus this one. So two of the original style development systems. Now this particular one here is actually a later one. I think this one is from 83 or four, five even maybe. Like it's a fairly late model of this type of thing, but it's based on a design that was out, you know, basically when the 6809 itself got released. So for those of you who like the historical you know, how the development and, and how the development systems were built at the very beginning of the 6709's run. This combined with what Stevie has is actually giving you a pretty good coverage on that. So it's it's a fairly interesting historical document and I think well worth downloading and taking a look at, especially if you're interested in the exerciser that uh, Stevie has as well. Yep. Next up, Chris Burke, speaking of older hardware, 
Uh, got a Kugel 3. Now, of course, Burke, Chris Burke is from Burke & Burke, who did the uh, the XT hard drive that interfaced PC XT hard drives to the Coco. Um, that same interface, he actually had demoed a Logitech ScanMan reader. He also did a ton of software. He did RSB, which uh, Rob Inman's a huge fan of. Uh, he did the port of the Cyrus Chess, uh, which is now included on EOU, um, and a ton of other things. <clears throat> he was also the one who was doing the 68,340 update board, but we didn't get enough people because at that time the Coco Marco was dying out. This was after Radio Shack discontinued in the mid 90s, and he didn't get enough people. But I think he's actually planning on releasing the uh, schematic for that because he actually had it basically working. He just couldn't get enough funds to to warrant an actual full run. Yay. Nowadays, with modern development systems or modern, uh, you know, being able to make boards on a whim, um, it's much cheaper, much easier to do this kind of thing. So <laughs> Rick's a big fan of that. So uh, <clears throat> in this case here, he actually got a Coco 3 that he picked up as a bargain. It was supposed to be a 128K Coco 3. And lo and behold, when you open up, it has a JNR Systems 512K upgrade pre-installed in it, and it works fine. So the person that was selling this obviously did not open up the case, did not really understand what he was looking at, and the badge on it said 120K Coco 3, so that's what he sold it as. So he got a 512K for free. Hmm. Nice. Good for him. Yeah. Now let's see what he does with it. Did Burke and Burke know uh, Daryl and Daryl? <laughs> <laughs> They're cousins. Yeah. First it's cousins. Show. Right. Burke and Burke were hubby and wife. Yep. Oh, okay. So anyway, yeah, if you want, this is one of the 512K upgrades from back in the day that I did not see as often. I saw performance peripherals, of course, the Tandy one, the Dista one, I saw quite a few of, but I didn't see too many of the JNRs. That's one I had not seen before. Uh, maybe I saw it at Fest, probably at a booth or something, but I haven't seen one in the wild before, so. Obviously hand-drawn. I like the, like, woofily swirls on the bottom of that there. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, no guess... auto router being used there. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed out because I totally missed that not being a hardware guy, but that's true. And the last one, if James Diffenbaff is still on the panel here, this is a comparison video of the C64 basic versus the MC10 basic. And I believe this is your optimized MC10 basic. Yeah. But I don't really know what it's comparing here, so I'll, I'll start playing okay. the video if you want to kind of explain it. Um, this is that Solitaire's, uh, if you look at the YouTube, there's a bunch of information in the description, but this is that Solitaire solver program that sits in, it shuffles the deck of cards and then it deals them out and plays Solitaire. And I just basically did a benchmark and uh, it's... Uh, pretty ugly <laughs> so what, what is the ratio because I, I i mean from looking at it i can't tell um i, I let this run overnight and i just caught this little video before i i, I quit and uh, if you wait till close to the end you'll see how many decks of cards um it solved um it's since they're random number generators and stuff are different, it's there's there's some little fudge factor to it, but the longer you let it run, the more likely it is to be accurate. And if you look there, it's 238 on the Commodore 64 and 370 on the MC10. So running at the exact same time, for the exact same length of time, the MC10 got like one and a half times as many decks. Yeah, and even the standard MC10 ROM, um, it's about halfway in between the two. And uh, the, the Apple II's a little faster. I, I did some benchmarks on the Apple II and the Commodore Plus 4. 
And the Apple II is a little faster than the Commodore 64. I think uh, the graphics chip steals a few cycles on the Commodore. And the Plus 4, it has to bank switch so that it can access more RAM. Um, so it really slows it down. I mean, it's like uh, reading a character involves disabling interrupts, banking out the ROM, reading the character, banking in the ROM, enabling or interrupts, all, you know, half over half of that, the regular doesn't have to do. So it looks really slow and basic, but uh, it's a, uh, this, you know, I think it multiplies that to 155% of the C64. And so it's, it's over half again as fast in basic. Cool. And if you, and if you actually look at the basic off uh, for the 6502, two versions of Microsoft basic it's like searching for a line number takes over 20 instructions and it take and uh, the main loop on the 6803 is seven so it, it's kind of easy to see where there's such a big difference when you start looking at the code yeah and I remember a lot of these like they did the Siver Asthenes and all this stuff you know type of benchmarks back in the early 80s and the Cocoa usually placed pretty good you know given its well, megahertz rating tech compared to other chips yeah the the problem with the math benchmarks is Microsoft just kind of did a straight port of stuff. Uh, the MC10, its ROM is almost exactly like the 6800 code from uh, was for the that they did for the Altair. I mean, the math library is probably straight 6800 code. Yeah, I mean, that's 2K of the ROM. And um, it doesn't really take advantage of 16 bits, and it doesn't take advantage of the hardware multiply. If you look at All's benchmark, AHL, uh, uh, the guy that was big in co creative computing, um, he, he did a benchmark that did a lot of square and square roots and, and looping and stuff, and he published the benchmarks for a whole bunch of different machines. And the MC10 benchmarked out at 159 to finish the benchmark, and the C64 and Apple II tied at like 153, I think. So it was the low 150s. But after uh, the first implementation of the ROM I did with uh, the hardware multiply, it the MC10 dropped to 106, I believe. Oh, that's a pretty big speed increase. So that meant the ROM. Well, mind you, Microsoft made these ROMs to be portable, so they didn't really optimize anything. Right, right, right. Well, and and when I tried to look up and see the first time anybody used, uh, if if the Motorola had done their floating point library for these that they distributed on their BBS, uh, I tried to see if it used the hardware multiply, and even they didn't use it. And the first, um, I found this after I'd done it, but the first person that implemented it with with uh, I think it was the 68HC11 microcontroller was in the year 2000 or something like that or so it was just something that I don't know if people didn't realize they could actually use it or what was going on but I'll have to uh, check because I'm pretty sure basic 09 is using the mall hardware well see basic 09 isn't a Microsoft product though ah true right yeah. That was Microsoft working with and, Motorola. And, so, it, yeah. it, well, it's it's on Motorola, but it was written by different people, so it's probably... Yeah. 
I, I mean, Microware at the time was working with Motorola directly, like the 6809 and, and Basic and I were actually kind of done at the same time. Right, right. It was meant to and, be a show-off piece, so. Yeah, and, and it's just, <laughs> they, they just didn't really take advantage of it. Uh, I mean, you, you've got code in there that could have been 16-bit and could have been faster for dealing with a stack. And I mean, all sorts of stuff that's just easy to optimize, and they just didn't do it. Yeah. I think you but, might have said it. Microsoft doesn't sell code. Microsoft sold products. Well, yeah. They, well, they were interested in get it done as quick as possible. Yeah, turnaround and, time was their optimization. Not right. And Well, and they also had... Uh, that they were doing it on some sort of cross development on a like a mini computer or something and it was kind of kind of a primitive development environment. I mean the assembler they used for the MC10 ROM didn't even make all of the the direct page accesses um a direct addressing instruction. So yeah. Yeah, but the the main thing to take away from it is um if you start benchmarking a lot of stuff and this isn't the only thing I've run benchmarks on the Motorola chips really kind of kind of put the 6502 to shame the one megahertz um, it's it, it the 6502 does really well if you can organize its code so that it can do everything eight bits but as soon as you start doing dealing with 16 bits like uh, the line numbers and stuff for the basic program you you have a pointer to the next line that's 16 bits the line number is 16 bits and you you know it things go south in a hurry yeah not that's kind of cool seeing the benchmarks uh, i mean like i said we've seen a few back in the day here too but yeah the 609 definitely was a more advanced chip yeah, and, and the 6809 should have similar performance to the regular MC10. Um, the patched, that that multiplied patch um, should help some stuff on the, that I, on the Coco 3 that I did. And plus there's the, the high-speed poke on the Coco 1 and 2. Yeah. You know, that what was that, like a 30% speed increase? So the really the Coco's, the entire line were significantly faster and basic than most of the 6502 machines. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end of the news here, so I will stop sharing. Pick up, Mark. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, next up, I think we got uh, updates and acquisitions. Yes, sir. Let me find the right mice. Right, right, mouse. Mouses. I yeah, hate Mises to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Grab the wrong mouse. Mises yeah. pieces. Got to wake up and, you know. All the coffee. All right. Do you, uh, do you want to do uh, – now let's just go right into uh, acquisitions because uh, Jason's got a hard out in about 15 minutes. Excellent. Okay, sounds great. Let's do that. <laughs> take um, it away, Jason. Yeah, I'll take it away. Uh, take it away. Take me away. Ha, ha, ho, ho, he, he. Uh, uh, first, first thing I have is an acquisition um, from you'll never guess where eBay, <laughs> and um, well, this is this is what I you know I got I foolishly got rid of this stuff twenty some years ago, Join but I I ended up getting the the uh, September nineteen eighty four issue of Rainbow, 
on eBay in really nice shape and it is just for your TRS-80 color TDP System 100 and Dragon and MC10 it says on on the corner there so I thought that was interesting I this was actually a little bit before I had a Coco so I never seen this issue unless I looked at it on the archive or got a yeah, I, I, I remember then. the cover. I remember that one. Yeah, so this, yeah, because I think it was at Christmas in 84 is when we got our coat. Um, uh, this appears to be, and I don't know if this was just a, a packing packing material or what, but I have I have this. I've never had one of these. It was in here. It was a Color Computer News, October oh, awesome. 19, uh, 1982. So that's issue uh, I subscribed. Uh, and again, that, that to my... me, if you were a hardcore technical person programming or hardware-wise, that was the best. Ah, yeah, yeah I, I never, I, I you know, this was before my time, but there's, so it's, uh, so that's cool. I'm going to check that out. Um, and that was also the first the, color um, computer magazine that actually came out before Rainbow did. Yeah, and first that issue. was where the um, e e overture or whatever music will tell overture first yeah. was published. Mm, okay. And Frank yep. Hogg's uh, 64K for, for free column first appeared there too. And um, yep. Anyway. And then finally, in as far as an acquisition goes here, I had, I, I kind of pulled this out, and I'm like, what the heck is this? And then oh, I the realized, CPM card. I realized it's the April 1984 issue of Hot Cocoa missing the cover. Mm. Oh, darn. I thought you actually got the CPM card, because those yes, were really right. yeah. <laughs> just And uh, that, so that was pretty cool. I had, I... I think I've seen a few of these hot cocos, but again, you know, they, I think that kind of Those went were away. pretty good. Not as cool as a CPM card, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not as, <laughs> not as, I was buying magazines, not CPM cards, but. Um, and then. Well, we uh, can do that. You probably get your money back and more if you uh, tell uh, uh, Brian Weasler that you got that other book. Oh, He'll yes. <laughs> yes, I'm no Brian Weasler as far as um, eBay acquisitions go. Uh, hmm. And now. Now let's go. I'm going to go ahead and move into project updates. Um, this is something I've been working on for quite some time. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask for it, and I was a little hesitant to get into it because it was really a skill set I didn't have, and I've spent a lot of time. And again, I, I'm going to I'm going to qualify this with this. You know, this is you know, a project. I'm scratching that itch. Other people may be scratching that that, it, that it, they have a diff, that same itch or something in that same uh, same uh, uh, neighborhood. And uh, wait, this is, is it a, a door for for the CM mate? I wish. See, <laughs> I wish. I got to get it. You know, no, it's not. But that's that's that's. That I, don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to. With a toggle switch. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to destroy the CM eight with the door market for people like Eric Canales. Uh. <laughs> otherwise, those prices are going to go way down on those CM8, CM8, because that is the man who bought the CM8 the last Cocoa Fest we had. Uh, he bought a CM8 just for the door and then sold off the CM8 without the door to me. So it matches the other CM8 I have. It doesn't have a door either. Uh, but what what I what I've been what I've been working on, and a lot of people ask for this, and um, I started I uh, started to learn how to uh, uh, make circuit boards. You know, actually. So, you know, work on the files, send out the schematics, send out all the files, have a board house, fabricate the actual PC board. Now I assemble it by hand. And I came up with this. And what this is, is a, uh, it's a it is a kind of a, uh, it's a, it's a high res board. And uh, what this is going to go in uh, for the time being is uh, 
it, it, it's it's a through hole board it's, uh, you know no no surface mount at this point but uh, just a through hole board and this is going to go in to something i've been working on and a lot of people have been asking for every everyone's familiar with the uh, the joey the joey controller switch right here got the got the two inputs has the two toggles you know input and output left left switch between the left and right joystick port uh, and what what I've what I finally came up with and actually have a working prototype of is um, it's going to be the Joey high res so you've got you've got your three you've got your three inputs and it's got lots of toggle switches I've even I've even <laughs> went ahead and added I've even added a rotary switch because now you have three inputs you have your ABC inputs and this, these are not the final decals. I did not have the final decals have not arrived. So these are just some existing decals I was using for reference. Uh, the new the new uh, labels will be on their way. But this uh, this gives you uh, the choice of three inputs through this uh, the, this uh, rotary switch. It will give you the option of being uh, on the as I have it set up right now. And I think this is the way I'm going to leave it. The third port is going to be switchable between high res and standard. And uh, and then also beyond that, it's still going to have like the like the the Joey control switch. You're still going to have your toggle here for your left and right joystick output. And finally, this is going to be an option because I know there's some people that I, you know have um, have you know have feelings about this, but uh, it's going to have an option for the old colorware mode if you want it. If not. It does. It, it's going to be an option that you're going to be able to. You can order it without if you don't want it. But it's just an additional toggle switch. It's not that many parts to add, and uh, it's, it's a sim it's a simple thing to add if someone wants it. Some people do. Some people may not. Just from what I've been reading on uh, the Facebook group. But also, this this has a pass through for the cassette. So you can attach your cassette cable here, and when you and when you you know it's just a five pin input for the cassette cable, and when you switch between there we go high res and standard when you're in the standard mode the cassette port will function as normal so is this going to have like a 50 page instruction manual <laughs> it'll make more you know it, it won't have an instruction well it, it's actually it's actually going to come in a three ring binder <laughs> it's going to be single space you mean you're not going to have it just as a downloadable pdf <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll probably be about a sheet or so, but it's once the la once you have the labels on here, it'll be fine. I mean, it's just it's just yeah. your left and right output. You want high or low, and what input do you want? And if you have the and if you and if you're feeling froggy and you want the colorware option, that switch will be there too. But I know so basically, I know, so ba oh. it's basically a jo it's a Joey controller switch with a with an additional input and high res. Super so it's Joey. A smart switch. So me, so me, for example, I'd plug in a radio. I'd plug in a Tandy jo a joystick, my Sega gamepad, and a mouse, and I would be able to choose which one is currently connected to the Coco, which port it goes to, and putting the mouse in port three or C, mm -hmm. I could say whether it's high res or normal. That's absolutely. That is absolutely and correct. And you and the cassette plugs in because normally the high res chews up the cassette port. If you're using cassette. You plug the cassette cable into it, and then your cassette will still be connected to the Coco when you're not in 
high res right. mode. It's well, just he, he, he eliminating must having to unplug from... something. <laughs> no, I work. I, I, I kind of. I've been kind of working with him on it. Slices. It slices. It does. It does not do your taxes. <laughs> I know. It, oh, wait, there's more. But wait, how much is it? Now, how much would you pay? Uh, how much is it? Well. That's a good question. $19.99? No, I wish. <laughs> there's the lots of wires in here. There's more than, there's more than $19.99 worth of wires in that, here. That's a lot of soldering. Jason, make it soldering. sound like a better idea. How many payments do we have to make? On? How many payments? It's not going to be that bad where you're going to have to. There's not, it's not going to be low like, payments of easy payments. I'll just sell it easy through Finger payment. Hut then, and you can finance it. <laughs> but... Um, uh, it's going to be a little bit more than the standard controller switch. Uh, I don't have an exact figure yet. Uh, I well, will don't have commit that. yourself if you're not sure. No, then. Don't, don't. It's it's going to be a little more. <coughs> it's going to be in. I'm going to say I'm going to ballpark it around fifty dollars. Wow, that's decent. Around that, might be a little still... more, might be a little less, but I'm gonna say around that fifty, around that fifty dollar range. I'm thinking that's gonna okay. save a lot of unplugging and so, plugging the cables and stuff. So it's fifty nine ninety nine, basically. <laughs> well, let, let's say let's say it's fifty under seventy five dollars. Under seventy. Look, oh, absolutely. I hear seventy seventy. Anyone? Now, 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 would you be willing to pay seventy five dollars? Because then I'll sell it to you for seventy five dollars. <laughs> I can do that. That's no problem. <laughs> if you'd like to pay more, I can. That can be an. You just, know, I can add that as an option. Just put them. I've got seventy five from Mark B. Anyone just higher? Put them up on eBay and start the bidding at fifty bucks. Will there be a fortieth <laughs> uh, anniversary edition? There's going to be one. There's going to be one edition. There's, there's you're going to have two options, just like on the serial switch where you can get it. You can get a different colored selector knob if you want, and if oh. you want the if you want the max oh. option, and it's going to be all possible. Crikey, it's got a knob. Crikey, well, the serial switch already has. Well, see the the, the uh, oh, gee, it's actually plugged in. Uh, the Joey serial switch already has a knob, so I see two of them. Are you going to sell upgrade kits if we got a Joey already? I will have to visit that. Uh, the, uh, the 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 layout is a little different uh, compared to the. Uh, I have to see if that'll actually fit. I because the uh, like the uh, the uh, the the layout on the front for the DIN ports are a little different. I had to mount them vertically rather than horizontally like I do in the uh, the serial switch to now, can uh, you combine those room. two and then have like <laughs> hey, daisy chain if you want. well can, <laughs> can if you, you make a this, box as big as the cocoa so it, if you have this you don't need this yeah exactly but if for some reason you wanted to take these two and combine them the serial switch and the and the controller switch yeah we could do that it would be a bigger box yeah, it's, like plugging two multi, it's like plugging two multi-packs into each other. A multi, if you yeah, want exactly. a multi-pack and a multi-pack. Yeah, but that's just... Don't, don't be trash on a multi-pack. A rack mount version. I want a rack, uh, rack mount. A rack mount version. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm just trying to see. Like, if I, if, I, if I was to combine them into... A box. It would be. It would be. It would be a box like this size. So it would be a little, a little larger. But I think everything would fit in the in this uh, in this size box. Did you so. ever consider a foot pedal switch? No. <laughs> <laughs> Reverse steering wheel. 
<laughs> about a real time clock? How about a real time clock? How about uh, you know, I that. did ask about a real time <laughs> clock. No, I, I always ask about a real time clock. So why, hey. why, why wouldn't you? Throwing hey, hey, real time Kalani. clocks alone. <laughs> hey, no, hey maybe we ought to move on to the next update. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we are. I am done. That's good night and good luck. Cocoman.biz is where it will be. <laughs> When, it, when, when, I, when we start taking free, when I start taking pre-orders, it'll be at cocoman.biz. Is there a commercial yet? No. You want a commercial? Ron needs. No, he means for this product. I'm for this new product. Oh, I got ah. to finish the. I got to finish the stickers first. Ah. Okay. Uh, Eric, I think you were up next. Oh, I got a couple acquisitions. I don't know if I've shown this one before, but I got this uh, 3D monster maze in the mail from Evan Wright. I don't know if you guys can see that. Yep. Yeah, we spotlight you here. Yeah, we got. Uh, I got the kind uh, uh, the see-through case, almost see-through. Oh yeah. Yeah, pretty nice. Runs pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty Is fun. that uh, 3D printed? It's 3D yes. printed. Hi. And I think you could get them in blue. I don't know if they have any left. Cool. Might be out of luck now. Um, I got a collection of uh, rainbow magazines from Tony Pedraza, um, including the uh, little pamphlets. I don't know if you can see them there. So I'm pretty excited to go through them. Uh, it's not the entire collection of rainbow magazines, but it's it's the later years. Like I think it was. I, I can't remember. Maybe eighty-seven and on. I don't remember, but it's quite a bit. Hmm. Okay. And uh, the last thing I've been working on lately is not really cocoa related, but it's more oh, oh. Um, it's more uh, candy related. So I picked up this candy TD T one from Candy Assembly. I don't know if you can see all that. Oh, yeah. I've been uh, installing some cards. I got myself an Autogy. Uh, I don't think anything will fall out. I installed a uh, Voodoo 2 in there. You can kind of see the big card there. And um, that's my sound card there. So I'm planning to uh, demo that at the uh, computer shows. Show some uh, Windows 98 action, 3D games. Um, like Interstate 76 and Viper Racing and a lot of the early, early 3D games. Cool. Cool. What okay. you got on your cocoa there? Malcolm Mortar. Yes, Malcolm Mortar. What about? Right. I think uh, last up was uh, Patrick. Um, sure. I've got some... Uh, Tandy projects to show. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, Can you hold them up again there, Rick? Yeah, we didn't we, get a we chance to see, see them. It. <laughs> oh, no. It's, uh, you know. Oh, the leather set. The, the, oh, the Tandy. I haven't seen one stuff, of those in know? a while. Yeah, I used to yeah. have one of those. It's, you know. If you try to sell anything, cocoa on eBay, it has to sell under Tandy leather. It's a rule. Not sure why, but it is. Oh, so, that's why. I wondered. Yeah, so uh, anyway, um, probably seen something like this before. <laughs> yep. <laughs> three input into two output with a high res adapter. Um, here is my story. 
Uh, can I share my screen? Oh, oh, I can. Can't I? Can I? Does this own this? Is there a schematic uh, that owns the screen? Might be Mark. Uh, do I have to pick? Uh, oh, I'm yeah, not I'm sharing. Not, I'm not sharing me. Select a window you want to share. Let me pick any desktop. Will it let me pick any desktop and share it? Here it comes. Uh, yep. Okay, so now can I switch to the desktop I want? Do we see a schematic yep. now? Yep. Yep. So oh, here's interface. Here, here is the uh, switchable res interface that I did way back in the 90s, and I thought I would do something modern with it, so I uh, came up with this whole chip switchable. How's that to all happen? You'll notice there's not a toggle switch in sight, but I did use these little pick and pullable um, slide switches because I'm really trying to work on a generic product here, not a specific thing like you know this huh. so anyway that invoked the process of okay I've got these tiny little switches that can be pick and pulled even on SMT designs but I have to be able to let humans switch them and that in turn okay so we tested it it worked um, then to make the case I went in to switch things how do you make a tiny switch human sized and you end up with this and then you come up with another thing and another thing and a slightly better <laughs> thing and eventually I ended up with all of these parts <laughs> <laughs> just to encase my board <laughs> so well wouldn't it look like I together anywhere from here? Uh, I need to unshare my screen and I have no idea how I do that um, um, here and this thing is so stop share okay that right, will give I got you. camera, right? Yeah, I got you. And, and so I ended up with this little board and a case that it slides into. So this is kind of difficult to do on screen, but there's no really mounting involved by clever manipulation on a box that I made. You can just drop the case in and drop the top on and add those little greedlies, and hey, it's a box. Plugs on the back of the cocoa. And I think that might be my actual product is taking any random thing and turning it into something like this. So there's no cables, there's no, you know, the, the thing, it's kind of the tandy idea of, okay, yeah, the board's mounted upside down, but you can run it through a wave solder machine and you don't have to come back over it. Anyway, that's what I've been working on, and uh, I've got a couple other projects in mind, an Ethernet adapter, and a couple other things, because Intel has a cute little chip that'll Yay. just your Ethernet for you. Oh, that so, I would like. I'm, I'm, yeah, and maybe, you know, pass it through into an SDC and put a real-time clock on it. It'll be great. Hey, but, uh, hey that's a sure seller. <laughs> the dream. Can I pre-order now? I heard real-time clock. I'm good. <laughs> right, right. You know, I need I need a feed through project. I tried. Uh, I've broken enough things. I need to do something that will just work. So, anyway, that's where I'm at. Uh, I've got some boards coming in. So, if anyone wants to solder together a little box that plugs on the back of your cocoa and does things, you can do that. I'll give you all the parts and everything. Um, eventually, I'll make a little surface mount board that I'm going to adapt to many computers because. 
a three into two analog switch with four channels on each can be good. So that's where I'm at this week. And next week I'll have something better. Maybe I'll even do some leather craft. <laughs> All right. Any, anybody else have anything? No? All right. Nope. Uh, we ready to stick a fork in this one? Yeah, let's stick that knife in that uh, dead horse. <laughs> All right. Let's do a little Nightmare Highway and then the outro. Got some time to kill, might play a little Zaxxon. Might double back to play a little Temple of Rum. Dungeons of Daggereth, color baseball. But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Sailor Man and Firefall Go on a rampage for some super pitfall Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack But sooner or later you know I've got to come back Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway It's got a road Bug, buzzard bait, sea dragon too. But none of those can satisfy me much as you do. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight big world.
Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Rondell Vo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. about taste care now everyone get enough uh barbecue and uh uh ice cream and whatever else corn on the Actually, cob. i'm hungry again corn on the cob? yeah salad. It's just about dinner time i say we um take a quick break and come back for another four hours <laughs> <laughs> i believe this is the appropriate use of the word asparagus <laughs> i'm gonna throw I, a laser disc on the barbie I don't know. I'm going to do something retro called I'm going to a land party after this. I'm recording football, so I'm going to go do that. (laughs) Make sure your internet cables are at least six feet long, David. (laughs) (laughs) I I just just added one thing briefly here. I Uh I just got a private message from Boat of Car from the Amigos there, and I guess he's planning on doing a special RGB-only Coco stream, and he said, beside Rampage and Digger, can you give three other RGB showcase games that are pick and pick up and play for the Coco 3. Any suggestions from the panel here? Xenix. Yeah, definitely Xenix. Yeah, Xenix and Crystal City. Contras, I would imagine. Um, what about what about Thexter? Okay. Um, Did you already say Monster Rampage? Maze, I think I'd thrown that in there too. Did you already say Rampage? Puzzle game from Sundog. Oh, Photon. Photon. Good, 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 good. good. Yeah. Oh, that's the graphics are great. Yep. Yeah, you come guys to be a ninja. Oh yeah. When is that gonna happen? Well, Ken's suggesting Nightmare Highway. <laughs> I could add I've sold all of my textures to people who collect texture, not cocoa items. So if you're looking to catch attention, texture works. Interesting. Because we have that, you know. Actually, I'll throw in some of Nick's games too, it. like Gate Crasher, Cosmic Ambush. I mean, Gunstar. Star. Gunstar would definitely be a good option. Yeah, Gunstar, definitely. Digger three. Yeah, Digger three and Rampage. He's already got that. He picked those on his own. So, Popstar. 
Um, Gunstar. Hey, what oh, yeah, are we I talking about? Pop, I, I, need to get, I, I need to get to making that theme for, for Popstar. Games that showcase the Coco. Oh, RGB, RGB, RGB on the Coco. RGB, RGB in particular. No geriatric displays this time. No way. <laughs> get a black and white TV, you dummy. Be <laughs> <laughs> retro. Come on. Yeah, seriously. I actually had a black and white TV when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I know a few, uh, few people had them, their Cocos on a black and white TV. Where's the button, Francis? Hmm. Wasn't right. there a glitch program on the Coke on the uh, Sinclair ZX81, which is only black and white, that would get some kind of color out of your black and white TV? I've got a black and white VGA monitor in the garage. I I have one of those handy actually. There, there there's some glitch to make that show some weird colors on a black and white yeah, TV. I don't remember situations. It's it's around, but yeah, those are those huh. are. Well, it was uh, the video was done by the C CPU driving the uh, yep. output. So and and the good ones were on channel thirty six, UHF. So they were steady as a rock and had no background noise, unlike all and the ones you could buy in the three. U.S. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, four, four work Sa well now. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, See you everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.